the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He got him and that's your ball game. The Cardinals with a five run night. Steal game one in the desert. It's a 10-6 final to snap a three-game losing streak. I felt great. I felt that's the best I've felt all year, and it's not even close. Um, first inning, I was a little, a little jumpy. The first guy, so cost us a run. But um, you know, other than that, I felt like I felt like I made pitches, I, and I was actually able to get some life on there, get some good breaking balls, and locate some pitches. So. All right, we all had our fun with it yesterday. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Full disclosure, I was a skeptic. I thought it was a mistake for the Cardinals to go with Adam Wainwright in that game when he was otherwise scheduled to throw a simulated game. They wanted to get his pitches up. I thought you maybe get two, possibly three innings out of Adam Wainwright when he's expected to throw about 60 pitches in that one against what is a really solid lineup in Arizona. Instead, Alex, he goes out there in the first batter of the game. I'm like, oh boy, four pitch walk. This is going to be a problem for the Cardinals. Who could have seen this one coming? Another mistake with their handling of the rotation. But then he settles in. Velocity's up a tick. Ends up getting a few swings and misses. He was a little lucky on a couple of those batted balls. But I'm throwing that aside for a second. To get five innings out of Adam Wainwright last night was nothing short of remarkable. And I don't want to hear from any of you guys that I saw on Twitter last night saying, oh, now we're going to celebrate five innings from a start. Yeah, we are. Because he had a pitch limitation yesterday. And Adam Wainwright has been one of the worst starting pitchers in all of Major League Baseball on the season. So when he goes out there and pitches the way that he did last night, we're going to give him the credit that he rightfully deserves. And I hope he celebrates the crap out of that start. If and when I think he's joining, I would assume the morning show tomorrow for Wednesdays with Wayno, he deserves to be celebrated for what he did yesterday. That was really impressive. And I'm glad that I didn't have to hold my breath last night as we got through the first three, four, and then eventually five innings with Adam Wainwright on the mound. He stepped onto the mound and said, Da-da-da-da! Captain Wayno is here. What was impressive about that is you did that against that Diamondbacks team. And for him, like if that would have been a start against the Nationals, we would have looked at it and said, okay, good for Wayno to get that, but you went up against a, a, a bad team. But instead, you went up against a Diamondbacks team that's OPS as a team is very similar to yours, and they don't strike out very often. And Wayno, I don't want to say looked like himself, but Wayno looked better than what we've seen all season long. He looked like the pitcher we hoped he would be this year. He looked like a guy that 
could get to 200 wins. Yeah. And that's what that's what all of us wanted this season for Adam Wainwright. And it just went south really quick. So good for him to be able to accomplish that. I'm sure that if you need to breathe life into that team, maybe that does it. Now, I'm not saying they're going to make some type of miraculous comeback, but it obviously boosts the spirits when Waino goes out there and performs that way. And well, then the rest took place. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, don't throw the yeah, the bullpen was bad. We'll but, get to it. Yeah, Waino going out there with no rehab start, and I don't even think he's through to live batters. And to go out there and give you 70-some-odd pitches and get you through five innings, yeah, that should be celebrated. Like, I... I was stunned that they were willing to just throw him out there, even though, yes, his time is running out, and that was something that he had said uh, to local reporters. Uh, hey, my time's running out. Let's get this process going. Yeah, okay, but, like, you probably should throw the batters first. Like, it feels like something we should do. But because the Cardinals have no depth and no pitching at all in their system, they're forced to throw him out there. So I was definitely expecting the worst last night. I, I figured he may not have command. I figured he'd get hit around. And, yes, the first inning really didn't help ease my nerves but then he really settled in and he looked as you said like the pitcher we were expecting him to be so yes it it, his performance last night should be celebrated and if it weren't for the stupid bullpen he'd have win number 199 so let's get to that because the bullpen was once again a story last night they gave it up i first of all before before i even get to the bullpen credit to ollie marmel i know that there's probably a portion of Cardinals fans that were like, is he really going to leave him in here? He did. And he should have. Had to left him in there for seven. All full disclosure. (laughs) There was a time in the fifth inning where I was like, oh, you got to take him out. You got to take him out. And then I thought to myself, these games don't matter. Why are you asking him to take him out? Just leave him in. At this point, it's about trying to get Wayno to 199 tonight. And that's what he eventually did. And I thought it was the right call in that moment, especially to push him. He ended up going 76 pitches in that game. They were scheduled for 60 to 65 pitches in that game. So I thought it was the right call there. Kudos to Ollie. I'm not like saying he deserves an extension or anything for what he did last night, but I thought he played it right. I appreciated it. And then your bullpen comes in. And as we have seen so many times this season, doesn't matter who it is that you bring into the game. Chris Stratton, who's been one of their most reliable relievers all season long. Two hits, two walks, two earned runs. JoJo Romero comes in. He's been Two great. hits, two earned runs. Don't forget he drilled the first batter he saw. <laughs> Those were because Giovanni Gallegos came in and he gives it up. It doesn't matter who they bring in, man. There were people complaining that they brought in Gio. Okay, who did you want? You want them to go to Palante in that spot? You want him to go to Suarez in that spot? Yeah, I hadn't seen Suarez. They'd they'd like Hicks to throw three innings, if that's okay. (laughs) Well, the the, the response that I got was, just leave JoJo in. Okay, come on. (laughs) Get out of here. This bullpen's not good, guys. They haven't been good all season long. Right now, I saw this last night. They are on pace to blow more saves than any team in Major League history. Let me say that one more time. It's a flawed statistic. I think it's a little bit misleading in the naming of it. Agreed. They have basically, their bullpen has, in terms of the official stat, blown more leads than any team in the history of Major League Baseball. Oh. They're on pace to blow 37 saves this season. The previous league leaders, historically speaking, 2021 Phillies, we remember that bullpen. 2022 Nationals, we remember that team. And the 2004 Rockies. It is 
brutal what we are witnessing right now with the bullpen. And so this offseason, for as much as we are talking about how the rotation needs to be improved, and it does, let's not forget what they need to do to this bullpen as well. All of the talk about adding a starter at the deadline, I wouldn't be surprised if Mo looks at this and says, you know what? get a repeat of that Tommy Pham trade for Tyler O'Neill. Let's get our next Henesis Cabrera who can come in and immediately help us in the bullpen. Maybe one of those DH types that they've got right now. I don't know which one they'll choose. That guy goes somewhere else to get our next Giovanni Gallegos where it's cost controls for the next five years and you've got a super reliable arm coming out of the back end of the bullpen. I wouldn't be surprised if they make a couple of those moves because they need it desperately. That's right why, now. as important as it is for me to see them get a one through three starter, which seems impossible to do at this deadline for next year. I think it's just as important for them to at least get two guys that you can rely on in the bullpen next year at this trade oh, deadline. Like four. Well, oh, at the deadline. Uh, at sure. the deadline, I'm talking the offseason. You're talking about five guys after that because to me, and Clay said it earlier on the opening drive, you got one guy in that bullpen that you trust, and you're probably going to trade that guy at the deadline. You should trade that guy at the deadline. So we've talked a lot over the last couple of weeks of what a successful trade deadline looks like for John Mozeliak. I've been on the stance of find yourself some type of legit starter that you can rely on next year. Yep. Find yourself a couple of bullpen arms that you can rely on because if you're trading all of these guys like we think you're going to, start upgrading areas that you don't have to spend all of this money in the offseason for. Yeah, and I, I think they're going to, as BK said, I think they're going to look to address that. I wonder if they try to pull off a Voight deal with one of the outfielders where they get their next Geo. Probably O'Neill's the guy that I've circled. And I think we've been saying that probably since, you know, his first injury of this yep. season. So I, I think that's what they're going to have to do because as much as we do look at the starting rotation, and I'm not saying it's not a problem, I remember talking at the All-Star break to where if they were at the pace they were last year in terms of blown saves, they would be above 500. So imagine this team, if they could just get a reliable bullpen. Look, the rotation's still a problem for them, but they would be much better in a better spot right now than they are currently. And I think they would be a team that's probably sitting better than the Cubs. I think they would be a team that would be looking to buy if they had a reliable bullpen right now. I, I truly believe that. I believe that's how big a problem this bullpen has been. And I think to your point, this is where they jumpstart the offseason, not just in the rotation, but with also the bullpen and what they try to accomplish. And the reason why they would be in that spot is because of the offense. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you guys want to get involved in the show, the Air Comfort Service text line is 314-399-9646. You can also check us out on YouTube. We've got a, uh, a chat over there on the live YouTube page as well, at 101 ESPN is where you can find us. We are live each and every day, all day long, starting at 7 o'clock all the way up until 6. Of course, BK and Ferrario from 11 to 2. And coming up next, I want to dive a little bit more into that offense. Saw it last night with 10 runs against the Arizona Diamondbacks. This offense is reminding us once again why you can have some faith that 2024 will be better. We'll tell you why coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The offense is not the problem with this ball club. I mean, they, they've always been able to hit. Now, there are going to be some teams that will throw a little cold water on them. But at the end of the day, this, this team is as resilient as I've ever seen, and yet they – they can't get out of their own way on certain situations. Audible! <laughs> <laughs> Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. 
That was Mike Claiborne on the morning show. Part of that offense last night came from Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, it did. And it might be coming from him again in 2024. Ooh, no, don't drive buddy. your car off of the road. I am not just throwing this out there to talk out of my you-know-what. Well, you do that a lot. This comes from Katie Wu of The Athletic. You should, by the way, subscribe to get news like this available to you at any given time. Pull your car over so you don't turn off the road when yeah. he reads this. I hope you're I sitting down at home. BK reads from the internet. Or I hope you're sitting in your car. Yeah. The Cardinals have a crowded outfield, and the likelihood they can retain O'Neal long-term remains to be seen. But his lengthy injury history has significantly lowered O'Neal's value at, in a hypothetical trade. John Mozeliak, who is looking to compete a field, or, uh, field a competitive team for 2024, isn't selling off talent just for the sake of doing so. She continues. Talent. St. Louis is planning to hold on to Tyler O'Neill at the trade deadline, according to multiple sources. That again, coming from Katie Wu. The Cardinals aren't looking to move him, barring a contending team taking a gamble on O'Neill's ceiling and buying high, end quote. Well, I hate this. Um, seems like John Mozeliak now is decided on what he's doing just adding more and more into that untouchable list let's go down the list right now bk arenado goldschmidt walker Newbar, admin donovan o'neill tyler o'neill and tomorrow dylan carlson will be on it probably because his ceiling is too good for the cardinals to say we can't move on with him. We we, we just haven't seen enough out of him. A little Guys, should be on this untouchable list. I, I pitched to you a segment the other day. Is there a scenario in which the Cardinals could buy back in on Tyler O'Neill after what we've been seeing, especially watching him defensively in the outfield? And you both laughed at me. And frankly, it was the correct response. It was the 100% correct response because it's absurd. How many times do you see Lucy pull out the football before you say this ain't gonna work hey man he doesn't get that no I, it took me a minute but i did okay. after he said the football <laughs> i got some it some point charlie brown you gotta stop trying to kick it you just say you know what i know what's coming this thanksgiving i'm not kicking that damn football again nope but, but john pose <laughs> you boy, see that pigskin come out different this time i'm gonna connect this time oh, i promise i put my good shoes on with this one here's my understanding how are you 11 games under 500, and yet now we are still adding people to this untouchable list going into the trade deadline because we want to field a competitive team. Okay, so can we go through this real quick? Can we go through Which the players? Part? I'm getting angry, man. Uh, so am I, and that's why I want to do this, because I want to try to stay somewhat level-headed. Oh, that's no, that's not happening. Look if at we Tanner. Were, if we were just on YouTube, I would have thrown a lot of F-bombs around. <laughs> So let's go through the list of players that we've heard the Cardinals are unwilling to move at this point. Okay. Sure. Let me pull up the 40 man roster list and make so, sure I got them all. Nolan Gorman's not going in anywhere. Or excuse me, Nolan Arnott. Somehow Gorman's the one name I've not heard on this list. So Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Goldie. Paul Walker, no. <laughs> stop Don't you it. say Paul Just DeYoung. Stop, oh, yeah, yeah. stop it, Mo. I, I thought Mo maybe saw the saw him bounce back. It was like, ooh. Jordan, I, I, I am fully for. prepared for that news. Yeah, that might be in tomorrow's paper, by the way. <laughs> uh, Donovan, we've seen some some Donnie stuff out there. 
We've seen some Newt stuff out there. Admin. Admin. Michaelis. Because um, he's just signed him yeah. into an extension. Matt's because. Nobody wants him. If you're looking at O'Neill and saying it was long-term injury. I, and I saw Randy say earlier today that apparently Derek Gould said there's some American League teams that are interested in Matt's. I haven't been able to find that report. Oh, oh, I, I'll trust Randy that he read it. I, I haven't seen it. but Let me sell you on Stephen Matt's. AL teams. Now Tyler O'Neill can be added to this list. Yeah, yeah. We've seen Walker, and then yesterday we. Walker's still untouchable. <laughs> if you trade Walker and you're saying Tyler O'Neill is untouchable, I'm completely done with this team. I will lead so, the people with the pitch. Can somebody to those explain to me what they're doing? Hold on, man. Giovanni Gallegos, you didn't put on there. No, I just wanted the position player oh, side. Okay. <laughs> we just mentioned one, two, <laughs> three, four, five, six, seven position players that are apparently untouchable. We didn't mention the catcher situation because they got to do that nobody else wants to have on their roster, apparently, at his current price with Wilson Contreras. And oh, by the way, they've been carrying three of those dudes for half of the season. In. What? What is going on? I think what is happening. What are we doing? What is going my on? Taylor Twelman moment here. I, I can I, tell you what they're I doing. Think they Mo- don't know. I think John Mozeliak is now afraid to trade anybody because the offense has been so good. But yet he 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 chooses not to recognize that the only way you're upgrading your pitching to make it a competitive team with this offense is if you trade actually good pieces off of your roster. So. I guess my so let's get back to the Tyler O'Neill thing. So if Tyler O'Neill is going to be back, your outfield because again they have said we don't want to trade Newt Bar, we don't want to trade Edmund. And that probably means Edmonds in the outfield and center field specifically. T Bone, I know, I know, I know. It doesn't happen. So you've got O'Neill, Tyler O'Neill and Edmund and Newt Bar in the outfield. All right, we're playing four outfielders, modern oh, baseball. Softball style? If, if yeah. this bleeping team trades Jordan Walker, I will lose my mind. Or you and I will go lead the mob to Mo's Are, office. I, so let's have the discussion because I have been pushing back on it time and time and time again. But at some point, like, all of the signs are pointing towards a little something happening. Is this team going to trade Goldie and Arenado? Like, I know everybody said no, and I have been pushing that as much as anybody, saying this is ridiculous, I can't believe that people are bringing this up, this is absurd, blah, blah. I mean, if they're keeping O'Neal and they're going to try to run this thing back in the outfield, you only have so many spots in the outfield, and they do value defense. Like, this is a team that, for everything that we've seen this year, legitimately values defense, and they have seen how horrible the outfield defense has been. If you're going to open up a spot for your players to play their natural positions, well, Gorman is a natural third baseman. Maybe you just put him there next year. And trade Arenado? I think it's ridiculous. All of this is stupid. They should just trade Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson or Newport or somebody else and say, we're going to figure this thing out next year. But... Um, clearly what I think doesn't matter. Okay, but you're not going to trade either of these guys if you're keeping Tyler O'Neill and saying we want to be competitive for 2024. Or you're maybe not keeping O'Neill over Goldschmidt and Arenado to be competitive in 2024. Maybe what they're saying is in order to sign the pitching that we need, the Blake Snells and uh, the guy from Japan or whoever you want at the front end of your rotation or to trade for Max Scherzer, whatever it is, we need money. 
And the place that we get that money to repurpose it into the rotation, it, there's there's two guys that are making real money on this team, and it's Arenado and Goldie. Okay, but now the, I think this is a ridiculous plan. They should not do this. Well, your they offense is going to be not. the same. Your offense won't be as good as it is next correct. year. Correct, a hundred percent correct, and I agree with you entirely, Alex. Th- this is why oh my God. You, you have to make decisions. Usa. And they're doing the same thing that they have done a million times before that got themselves into the spot where yesterday you have to send down Yvonne Herrera. Like, why was Yvonne Herrera sent down yesterday, guys? Because their roster's overcrowded. And so they can't keep Herrera because they're incapable and unwilling to put Nolan Gorman or Brendan Donovan on the IL while these games do not matter. Both are playing through injury right now, apparently. So you got to send Herrera down because you need that spot on your roster for the pitcher. And your outfield is overcrowded with all of the guys that you've been holding on to like they are the crown jewels of your organization for the last seven years. At some point, you got to make some tough decisions. I thought this was the easy one. The the easy one was saying it's not working with Tyler O'Neill. He clearly can't be trusted to stay healthy. The back issues have lingered. The soft tissue injuries have come up every season of his career. He was able to put it together one time. One time. And now they're doing it again? Again. Just get rid of the assets that you have. The, this is an easy one, dude. Okay, the text line is telling us that we're spewing out BS right now and we're going all over the place. I'm not sure how we sound like the insane ones when if the Cardinal sources are telling Katie Wu that Tyler O'Neill isn't going anywhere unless they get an offer that they just can't turn down, which, here's a secret, guys, that's not going to happen for somebody who's played 30-something games this season. Then he's going to be with the team in 2024. Okay, let me... Maybe it has been a little jumbled because I'm trying to, in my mind, figure this out as well. So the reason why I think that the O'Neill thing is a potential pivot point, it's not about O'Neill specifically, it's about the roster and what keeping Tyler O'Neill means for the Cardinals in 2024. You're, you're putting yourself in the same spot that you started this year in. Guys, think about what the Cardinals have been saying for the last three months. It's we've got to figure out this outfield shuffle because we have too many players for not enough spots. If they believe that, and they clearly do, well then keeping O'Neill makes that more difficult again for 2024 because you still, we believe, have Burleson, Newt Bar, O'Neill, Walker, hopefully, and Edmund. Edmund. And if all of those guys are going to be playing in the outfield and you have some more that are coming up in the not-too-distant future, Victor Scott's probably going to start next year down in AAA, and that means that he's not far away from the big leagues. Like, Then you have to make decisions elsewhere to be able to move some of those guys to the infield, potentially. So that is why I'm bringing up Arenado or Goldie or what this means for other spots on the roster. You've got to find ways to improve. You've got to find players to move off of the 26-man roster, much less the 40-man roster. And that's how this can have a trickle-down effect on the rest of the decisions, both at the deadline and going into the offseason. So, yes, I am frustrated and I am very confused, but reading too much into one move, I don't think that's what's happening here. I think this can be a telling sign of where the Cardinals are going. And I don't know which direction it means, but what my, my fear is, is the worst case scenario, they just run it back again next year with the same issues that have arisen for them this year. And they say, mm, next time it's going to be different. And then what? 
have the same pitching because if you don't upgrade your pitching, you're going to be the exact same team next year. Actually, probably worse because three of these guys in your rotation aren't here. And if you think you're re-signing two of those three in terms of Flaherty and Montgomery, well, there's 40 to $45 million that you're spending, which is probably going to put you over where you're at right now in terms of spending and means you're not going to the market to sign bullpen arms. None of this makes sense if this is the route you're going to go with it, which is the frustrating part, because if you're worried about making trades, which it sure seems like they are once again, well, we don't want to trade O'Neill because, well, right now he doesn't really, and people texting in saying that, well, they're trying to raise his trade value. Guys, John Mosaylock and company saying they don't want to trade him isn't going to raise his trade value around Major League Baseball. But if you're not going to move him because you're worried his value is going to hurt you elsewhere, you're doing that with Newbar, you're doing that with Donovan, you're doing that with Edmund. At some point, you don't have enough money to upgrade the areas that you're bad at. Also, guys, like Tyler O'Neill might be a non-tender candidate in the offseason. Yeah. He's making $5 million this year, and he's eligible for arbitration next year. He's not going to make a ton of money, don't get me wrong, but do we think that the Cardinals are going to want to pay $7 million this offseason to Tyler O'Neill? I wouldn't I don't. think so, but I mean, it sounds like there's but certainly an idea. Why would you it? trade him then just to get something? Correct. That's my point is... I understand, like, we've got a lot of texts that are saying, guys, this is just because his trade value isn't high right now. They don't want to sell low on him. I get it. That's on you. You chose to hold on to him this long. And when you do that, this is a potential outcome. If you hold on to your assets too long, like they did with Dylan Carlson, like they did with Juan Yepes, like they have done with Tyler O'Neill, then eventually it becomes a depreciating asset. It's why some people asked for them to trade some of their guys early, like last year. If you thought that was the peak that we were going to see from Lars Newbar, last year was the year to sell high on him because he had so much control and he had shown such high promise that there were teams that were saying, whew, we can dream on that. And the Cardinals decided we can also dream on what Lars Newbar is going to become. I'm not saying they were wrong for doing so, but you got to make those decisions. They made their choice with Tyler O'Neill. They have made their choice with Lars Newbar. If they continue going down that path with Newt, he could eventually be in a similar spot to where O'Neill is right now. I don't think he will because I really like Lars Newtbar. And I think he has a a much higher floor with who he is as a player because of his on-base percentage. But with Tyler O'Neill, this was always a potential outcome. We all knew it because of the injury history, because of the strikeouts, and because we've only seen him really put it together one time. And so if Mo- John Mozeliak did not see this as a potential outcome, That's on him. Just like he didn't see, apparently, the potential outcome of Wilson Contreras being the same player that he's always been. That's on him. So, yes, I I do think that this is a significant story, and it is telling, in my mind, of their thought process at the deadline. I thought they were going to be very aggressive. I thought they were going to be willing this time around to talk themselves into trades as opposed to talking themselves out of trades. And it appears I was wrong again. And if this is the direction that the team decides to go at the deadline, what we were talking about yesterday with Katie, with them trading six, seven, eight, nine, ten players from this roster, man, that ain't happening. It's going to be four. Yeah, Maybe. it's going to be the guys yeah. that we thought were like the every team and every general manager would sell. Flaherty, Montgomery, Hicks, DeYoung. Those even- will be the four that are everybody agrees going. I would push back on at least two of those now. If this is their mindset, I'd push back on one of those starting pitchers, and I'd push back on Hicks. Yeah. I don't think I don't think they can. I mean, if they look, I'm 
I'm already blasting for the decision making here in t- terms of electing to run it back potentially with this outfield and some of the thought process that's going into this. They decide to hold on to their pending free agents. There should there should be serious criticism with you. of John Mosaic. Look, if they think they can hold on to like Monty, okay, I guess that's fair. If you want to re-sign him because you're he's your number one guy, sure. I can listen to it. The Jack, the Hicks, anybody else in that free agent kind of becoming that should not be the case. They should be selling those pieces. Even Paul DeYoung, like I know he's got a club option. You need to sell high on a guy that, for the first time in three years, has shown he's a capable big leaguer. They need to sell high on Paul DeYoung. I thought they should have sold high on Tyler O'Neill this past offseason, and instead they decided to run it back. I thought this whole season was supposed to determine this outfield, and it sounds like now they just don't know. They still don't know who they believe in, and they're still banking on the one year of Tyler O'Neill. If they keep Tyler O'Neill over Dylan Carlson, because Carlson's value is not high right now either by the way across Agreed. major league baseball there's there's just no way why why would it be they every other team sees what we see or what we have seen over the last couple of seasons with Carlson which is a lot of inconsistency and hell the cardinals right now appear to be choosing Tyler O'Neill over Dylan Carlson so if they choose O'Neill over Carlson and I you guys know I am not the one that is the highest in this room or really among cardinals fans on Dylan Carlson, that is going to be one of those moves that we look back on and say another issue for John Mosaylock right there. I, I want to keep on with this topic because I, I'm shocked that this is the news that we saw today. I I thought there were five players that were guarantees to be dealt at the deadline. I thought it was Hicks, Montgomery, Flaherty, DeYoung, and Tyler O'Neill. And then from there, we could see what the offers looked like. But those five, I thought, were guarantees to go. I want to hear from you guys. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. And more importantly, let's hear from you on the mic drop feature today. The 101 ESPN app is where you go to send it. What are your thoughts on this news from Katie Wu that the Cardinals are not looking to sell low on Tyler O'Neill and instead they are planning to hold on to Tyler O'Neill at the trade deadline? We'll hear from you guys on the mic drop feature coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Base the pitch. Swing, drive, hammer toward left. The ball is down and into the corner. Two run score. Here comes Nuna around third. He's getting waved. O'Neal clears him with a double. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That is what it sounded like last night as Tyler O'Neill comes through in the clutch. A big spot for him with the bases loaded, double to left, ends up putting the Cardinals up 10-6 to 6 in that spot, giving them some insurance runs going into the bottom of the 10th inning. Of course, they win that game 10-6. to 6. Again, that audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Alex, we're reacting to the news from Katie Wu that the Cardinals are planning to hold on to Tyler O'Neill at the trade deadline. This is according to uh, Katie Wu's piece over in The Athletic. She has multiple sources on this. She said that the Cardinals are not looking to move him, barring a contending team, taking a uh, a gamble on Tyler O'Neill and buying high. She adds that there is just very little value in Tyler O'Neill right now. My stance on this is very simple. And I understand some of the criticism coming from the text line right now at 314-399-9646. You guys can also get your thoughts in on the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. I think the Cardinals made this bet last year and it was a losing bet. And at a certain point in time, it's time for you to walk away from the table. 
Alex, you go to Vegas. You like playing blackjack, right? Mm-hmm. There are certain nights that it's just not your night. <sighs> Never. And you don't continue putting money on the table to try to chase it. I guess you could. Oh, no. But it ends up going pretty poorly for you most often. Now, there may be a time where you say, you know what? I'm going to keep sitting at this table because I'm having a good time. My friends are around me, right? And you might end up coming back. You were down 400. Now you're up 500. You end up up on the night, right? But the likelihood of that happening, pretty pretty marginal, to say the least. The house always wins, BK. Exactly. What the Cardinals are doing here in this mixed met- metaphor that I've got going <laughs> is they sat down at the table, and man, they got off to a hot start. You saw that 2021 season, and the Cardinals were like, well, we're just going to continue betting big here. We're going to tip the dealer after every hand. Like, there's no way this goes south for us. Start losing a little bit, and they're like, ah, psh, just a bad run. Now they're they're down. They were up 500 bucks. Now they're down 200 bucks. And they decided, we're going to hold. We're going we're gonna to keep keep playing. And it'll decrease the bets a little bit. But we like this. We like this table. We like this dealer. And they they continue to play. And Alex, now they're down like 500 bucks. And instead of walking away from the table, the way that they probably should right now from the Tyler O'Neill asset, they said, mm, we're going to try to get back to even. That's what they're trying to do right now. They're trying to recoup value on Tyler O'Neill. It's a mistake. Because the playing time is the real value here. What the Cardinals are doing is they are locking up guaranteed playing time into left field for Tyler O'Neill because the only way he regains value is by playing every day. And so instead of learning more about Dylan Carlson or Lars Newtbar or Jordan Walker or whoever your favorite player is that you want to see get more playing time in the outfield, they're throwing this guy out there every day. So that's where my opinion comes on this, where I think they are making a massive mistake by holding, even though I fully acknowledge he has very little value and you would absolutely be selling low on the Tyler O'Neill asset. It's because of what it means for the rest of the roster, not so much what it means for their lack of value that they're getting in return. That's where I come out on this. When you doubt yourself in a game of blackjack, it's probably when you should have gotten up. And when you doubt yourself or when you second guess yourself in situations like this, you probably should have moved on. And I wonder if that second guessing took place last season. But yet you said we're going to stick to it and see what this gets us. And it didn't really pan out. You went into this season and it not only didn't pan out, your manager called the player out in the first week of the season. And then he was out for basically this entire season. And he comes back for a week And yeah, Tyler O'Neill has looked fine. The defense is good. He's contributing offensively. It's great to have. But in no way, shape, or form do I look at that and say, he's a part of my 2024 plans. Because you know what you spent this entire season whining about? Well, we got a log jam here. We don't know how we're going to get playing time for Jordan Walker. We got to send him back to Memphis and bring him back up. Large Nupa, how are we going to get playing time for him? Dylan Carlson hasn't gotten the opportunities, but he's only 24 years old. And now we've got Tyler O'Neill. And what about Alec Burleson? Where does he fit into all of this? You're going to continue to do this all offseason, wondering how you're going to get all of these players fitting into your lineup so that you can get this best offense in Major League Baseball next season. But you know what? That doesn't matter when your pitching is as awful as it is right now. And if you're going to sit here and not want to trade Tyler O'Neill because the value's not there, and I understand the value's not there, 
But sometimes it's just time for you to move on from that. But if you're going to stick with that, if you're going to stick with Lars Neupar, if you're going to stick with Tommy Yetman and Jordan Walker and Brennan Donovan, at some point you're going to have to say, we don't have enough playing time for all of these guys. And then you're going to do this Memphis train that you've done this season and not get the consistency out there. And again, you're right, BK. This has nothing to do with Tyler O'Neill and everything to do with your roster. And this is why my concern in the offseason is so high Because if you're not willing to move any of these guys via trade and you're not willing to spend significantly more than you're used to spending, you're not improving this team next year. You're going to run it back with this same baseball team next season. And why should I believe that in 2024, it's going to be different than 2023. And on top of all of that, man, this goes down to the frustration that Cardinals fans have had about their inability to develop and then evaluate their young talent. If you keep Tyler O'Neill, somebody on the text line says, guys, you can keep O'Neill, but then somebody has to go out of the group from Dylan Carlson, uh, Lars Newtbar, Edmund, Burleson, etc. Exactly. So you're keeping the asset that you know what he is. Let's be honest, guys. We know who Tyler O'Neill is as a player right now. I think I've got a pretty good idea of what Dylan Carlson is, but I also acknowledge there is that uncertainty there where I could end up being wrong and he ends up going elsewhere and becoming an all-star. That's at least in play. T-Bone, I know you think you know what Lars Newtbar is, but there's still that uncertainty there of what if next year he goes somewhere else and becomes a 15-20 to 20 home run hitter that gets on base 36% of the time and plays good defense in left or right field. That is very much in his range of outcomes. And then you're giving up a cost-controlled player for years to come that could be your future piece in the outfield. And you're doing that to keep Tyler O'Neill because his value is low? No, 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 no. Get out of here with that, Some, man. Someone That's just said, nonsense. Someone just said Wilson Contreras holds this lineup hostage by his presence. How? His that offense is, is significantly better than Tyler O'Neill's. And that has nothing to do with the outfield conversation right now. Nothing. In, in fact, what they're doing with Tyler O'Neill makes it less likely there's a spot in the outfield for Wilson Contreras to be able to be out there if they genuinely do not believe that his future is catcher. Or the DH spot. So it's just... All of this stuff, it affects other players and what you're able to do. There comes a certain point in time where you've got too much depth. It's what we talked about yesterday with Katie. It's what is clearly happening once again to the Cardinals. All right, let's go out to the mic drop feature. Let's start out with Dylan, who's got his thoughts on the Cardinals announcement, or Katie Wu's report, rather, that they are expected to keep Tyler O'Neill the trade deadline. This is an organization, I think, that felt like they were above the pack. And now they're scrambling, and this is what scrambling looks like. And now that it's getting more and more public, it looks uglier and uglier. And I just don't know how or when they could get out of this, but keeping Tyler O'Neill is an incredibly dangerous move, I think. If you're afraid of something coming back to bite you, I agree with BK. It's going to bite back. This is just a, I don't know, It's it feels like they have no direction. And Agreed. I think that's where we're all coming from here. Let's continue with the mic drops. Let's hear from Andrew. This front office has turned into an absolute joke. They have absolutely no idea what they're doing. The wishy-washiness of whether or not to trade or keep players is going to destroy, destroy this franchise if they keep it up. It has been the most consistent franchise in baseball over the past 20 years. And the direction it's going makes me want to vomit. You have to know when to cut ties and you have to know when to just cut your losses at some point. Man, Andrew sounds like what I sounded like yesterday when we saw Yvonne Herrera was sent back to Memphis and they stuck with 
Andrew Kisner and Wilson Contreras had brought up a bullpen arm. Like, I said it yesterday, and now I feel it even more. If you want to see how a team is able to manage a roster, look no further than how they manage their 40-man roster. And John Mozeliak has really skewed this 40-man roster this season in terms of inconsistency, not backing what you're saying, and trying to figure something out when you know it's not working. And if you're going to do that with your 40-man roster in season when you have certain guys that you know have the talent, but yet you just don't want to give them that opportunity, i.e. Yvonne Herrera, Zach Thompson, Matthew Liebertor, what makes you think that they're going to make the right decisions going into a trade deadline looking at position players that we all know doesn't fit into the 2024 plans of this Cardinals team if they're trying to win now? And if they're not willing to do that, then they're also not going to be willing to do something that they've never done before. And as Mo said, change the model and go out there and find free agents that change the identity of a pitching staff. A 40-man roster makes all of that look really murky. We'll hear a little bit more from you guys and get some questions and answers coming up next. Everything that I know and that I've seen from Mosaic over the years leads me to believe one thing. He's a really, really nice guy, but he should have been a banker. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this from the 314. Guys, if Tyler O'Neill is staying, who is the outfielder most likely to be traded in your mind? Apparently none of them. Yeah, none of them. They're going to keep all of them. I think Dylan Carlson. Running back with seven outfielders. I think I've been firm on this opinion for a while now. I just thought it was going to be multiple outfielders they were moving I, I think this team is trading Dylan Carlson whether it's at the trade deadline yeah. or in the offseason and I think it's likely to happen at the deadline yeah, I mean you don't cut him out of your rotation in the outfield as soon as O'Neill comes back if you're going to keep him beyond this season so yeah it's clear that Dylan Carlson won't be here I just don't know if it's on August 1st or if they're going to convince themselves that they'd like to see 30 more games of Dylan Carlson before they trade him in the offseason yeah I, I agree with you I think it's Carlson and I've, I've thought that ever since Mo was on this station back in may or june when we had him on the show grant i also thought at that point too o'neill was gone and clearly that's changed yeah. so but I, I i would say it's definitely dylan carlson uh from the 618 guys who would you trade jordan walker for nobody <laughs> he is untouchable he is the best talent you have developed it since albert Pujols. you don't trade that it would be ridiculous to move him but tanner I don't care. He sucks in the outfield. Dylan Cease? No. <laughs> Lance Lynn? This guy could be an MVP. <laughs> but Tanner, he can't play defense, and he hits the ball Who on the ground. that? Find a spot for him. Work Shit. with him in the outfield. Shane McClanahan. No. Shohei Otani. No. Oh, Zach yeah, Gallen. He's going to get overpaid anyway. Sandy Alcantara. What you Zach Gallen. No. Sandy Alcantara. No. He Corbin stings. Burns. Logan no. Gilbert. Logan Webb. No. No. Ooh. You should not trade... <laughs> Jordan Walker. You do. Spencer Strider. You just basically committed yeah. to being fired. I might think about that one. <laughs> that, that one I'm Spencer Strider. Strider. No. Max really? Freed. No. Jordan Walker. Guys, 
He's Ronald Acuna. He's 300 as a rookie. <laughs> Would you do it? No. Ellie, really? Ellie, no. Ellie De La no, Cruz. Come on. Jordan you wouldn't Jordan Walker for Ronald Acuna. Jordan Walker is Ronald Acuna. Come on, no. man. Ellie De La Cruz. That's reasonable. No. Actually, I wouldn't trade him. Fernando probably. Tatis Jr. No. Off the field issues. <laughs> Mookie. All right, look. Oh, there it was. We got him Mookie. Corbin okay. Carroll. He's already signed a 10-year extension. That's true. Yes, fine. Okay. No, Tanner doesn't like extensions. Luis Robert? Would you trade him for Luis Robert? No, seriously. You're not understanding the point. That. I would do that. You're starting to think like Mo. <laughs> no, I'm not. And I'm I don't just... like it. I, honestly, though, I'm with Tanner. If you trade Jordan Walker... I am completely off of this this bus of you getting it turned around. This needs to be an entire blow up if you're trading Jordan Walker. But he said, what about Juan Soto? <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Why not? <laughs> that guy's bad defensively, too. Yeah, but he doesn't hit the ball on the ground. He walks. Uh, how's Walker not walk? <laughs> right? I'm going to need water at commercial break. <laughs> I got a headache from yelling. I started sweating after I <laughs> questioned. Um, I'd like that Illinois to be. The- just made a hire. Look <laughs> <laughs> over here! What is going on? Look over here! It's actually a really good hire. I didn't even know we were hiring. Illinois football just hired Jim Leonard. <laughs> Why is that name familiar? He was a former NFL player that's been a defensive coordinator for years in college football, and he's. I, I thought he was going to get a head coaching job. Uh, this is a really good hire. Where by was he Illinois. just at? He was at Wisconsin. What'd they hire him to do? Uh, an analyst for the staff. Oh, so in other words, they're like, oh, I don't know about this kid we just hired to be our defensive coordinator after, uh, what's his name? So locked? we got a babysitter. So, so we've got a babysitter and a guy that's going to take his job next year. Yeah, they they should absolutely hire him to be their defensive coordinator. I mean, honestly, I would consider hiring him as the head coach. He's really good. Whoa, um, whoa. <laughs> Bill just had dude, a great year. BK woke up and chose chaos yeah. this morning. This guy's just like, hey, Bill has done more than drinks done this time, but how about you fire him? Walker for Riley. I will get no. damn it. Yes. Uh I Same. will give credit where it's due and then I'm trading Arenado. Um <laughs> credit where it's due. That's a fantastic hire for Illinois. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to a former baseball general manager about what he decides or when he decides it's time to move on from a player because clearly the Cardinals have are having a tough time with that. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And it's not every day you're able to catch up with the former Major League Baseball general manager, but that is what we are able to do today. Former Tigers GM Al Avila joining us here on the show via the 101 ESPN hotline. Al, we sincerely appreciate the time today. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Uh, How are you guys doing today? Uh, we're doing all right. It, it's been a weird year here in St. Louis, Al. I don't know how I'm much sure. you've been able to <laughs> to check out what the Cardinals have done, but they started the year 10 and 24. They are now 11 games under 500. And for the first time in like 15 years, they are legitimate sellers at this year's trade deadline. Uh, from your perspective, from watching from afar, what have you seen from this year's Cardinals team? Well, there's been some underperformance. There's been some injuries. Um, but I would say, uh, uh, just like most people, uh, kind of surprised, you know, um, you know, with all the losses uh, adding up. But in saying that, um, you know, they're in a position now where maybe they can retool by making a few trades, um, you know, here at the deadline 
Uh, you know, a good example, Paul DeJong, which I think um, they may have been open to trade him in the past and uh, could open up some doors here. Uh, and a couple of pitchers like Flaherty and Hicks possibly also, you know, can bring back something. Uh, but, I, I, you know, obviously they're in a, you're, you guys are in a position here to, um, you know, make the team better. I, I don't know that – I don't think they have a – you know, this year is, is, is bygone. Uh, uh, you know, it was kind of difficult to get back into it. But I think just with the, some minor adjustments, uh, obviously you can get back right into it for by next year. I mean, you know, obviously Contreras was in a situation, you know, behind the plate that also was a – little bit of a mess so a lot of little things like that you know contribute to to some losses al how tough of a position is john mozalak in right now to where you do need to retool but you know you have a competitive team and on top of it you have a lot of these pieces that at least they seem uncertain about well i i, I you know i've known john for uh, mo for a long time uh, he is a really good gm and knows what he's doing i can tell you that uh i would say that yeah, it is a tough situation, but you've got to deal with what you've got. And I think, uh, you know, if I'm in his shoes and I, and I think I know a little bit, I think he's going to be positioning himself to make the best trades possible to make that team still competitive for this year, which, you know, you never know. Things can turn around and he's not going to, he's not going to sell, uh, sell off the farm uh, and, and complete and do a, re, a, a rebuilding here. He, he's going to just kind of retool uh you know, keep the team strong and then obviously build on that. Al, when you get to a, a trade deadline and you're approaching it the way that Mo is right now, we're talking to Al Avila, former Tigers general manager here on 101 ESPN. What are the conversations like at this point, about a week away from the trade deadline uh, for a team that is selling? What are you trying to do? What are those internal conversations like right now? Bring us into that room. Yeah, and that's a very uh, an interesting room because you know every team obviously works a little bit differently. But let's say you you know you have your conference room and you have your team of you know front office staff in there, and and basically what you're trying to do is okay. Here are some of the players that we are willing to trade, okay, and and then you're identifying the teams that you feel you may you match best with, okay, so. You know, obviously, you got to look at all 30 teams because the team can come in at the last minute and propose something. So you got to be prepared for all 30. But you're doing really uh, uh, a lot of inside work to try to really narrow it down to, to maybe you know uh, 10, 10 teams, let's say, or you know whatever amount of teams that you come up with, which ones really match up the guys that we have that we're willing to trade with the guy with the players that we want to acquire. Because the main thing here is you want to identify players that you want to acquire that might match up with somebody that you're trying to trade. So that's what you're going through uh, in that room right now, and you're going it over with a fine-tooth comb. And you'll have, you know, each team up there, and with the players that you like, you know, kind of in a preferential order, not too different than like, like the draft, to where when you start those conversations, that we're going to start with this player. And then we're going to go to this player. And then there's going to be a line that you draw, you know, in your own mind uh, or on that board. You say, okay, we're not going to go past this. This this is what we want for this. And then after that, you know, we, we can walk away. So you have to kind of have that already prepared uh, in your mind. 
Al, as a follow-up to that, how much second-guessing can take place in those situations? Like, if you're in that chair and you're expecting those phone calls and people are calling about certain players, can there be any room for second-guessing at that time? No. You know, well, you're talking about second-guessing yourself? Second-guessing yourself for the players that you're potentially trading away. No, I I think you've already, you know, most teams already have beat that up, you know, uh, a lot. I would say there's probably some players that that are tougher to trade than others because you've you know you've gotten close to them. Maybe they mean a little bit more to your clubhouse than another player. Uh, so those t- those guys are a little bit tougher to, to trade, you know. Um, but but I don't know that you know you're second guessing yourself in that. Oh, I, you know uh, we we put this guy out there and now we're going to bring him back and we don't want to trade him anymore. Um, you know, that, that's a rarity. I just think that some players are tougher to trade than others just because what they may mean in, in the clubhouse or to the organization overall. We're talking with Al Avila here on 101 ESPN. Al, a guy that I wanted to ask you about was Nick Castellanos because as I was looking into Dylan Carlson, the Cardinals' young outfielder the other day, uh, Castellanos' start to his career was somebody that immediately came to mind where first couple of seasons, you know, it was it was solid production, but it wasn't anything to write home about. And then by year four or so in the big leagues, he became a really good hitter at the plate. What type of progress did you see from Castellanos that gave you the belief that he was going to become the hitter that we have seen today? What was it that you saw? Well, I was privy to see Castellanos in high school. He actually played uh, high school ball with my son, uh, my younger son. And so I've known, I've known uh, him for a long, long time. And I can tell you that, you know, for me and, and within the organization, we always felt that he could hit or his defense had always been a question mark. But when I first saw Castellanos in rookie ball in Lakeland, you know, I, I actually was a little bit afraid because uh, I thought he was afraid of the ball. And, and, and the problem was he had never seen, you know, you know, 95, 97, 98 velocity, uh, you know, in the GCL, you have some of these guys are throwing it all over the place. So, you can't really blame a guy for being a little bit uh, gun-shy up there. But from that first point to the time that then he progressed into the minor leagues, he made steady improvement every year throughout the year uh, that was really remarkable, and that you could just tell that he was coming along. And then when he gets when he gets to the big leagues, kind of no different than his minor league career where you can see that, yeah, he's doing okay, but he's struggling. Now, he was surrounded by a very, very good team, which was a, to his advantage, uh, so he was well-protected. But he did get better uh, as time went along. And, and, you know, what happens is most people, when, when they see a young player, especially if he's a high pick or whatever, they want instant success. And, and sometimes it doesn't come so fast. It just comes with two things. Number one, you know, physical maturity, because right now if you look at Castellanos physically, he is so much more mature than his first couple of years in the big leagues, uh, much stronger. Uh, and then, of course, you know, your mental maturity because you start to really learn, you know, the, the league and the pitchers and what they're trying to do to you. You start really feeding off of other players and you just become a much smarter baseball player and, 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 and a, a much more physical baseball player. So, you know, it just takes a little time, and it's usually within that first, you know, three or four years. So how do you know, Al, when it's time to maybe cut your losses? Like, 
the Cardinals, for example, with Dylan Carlson using him as the example, they've got a very crowded outfield right now, and he's been a name that's been brought up as a potential trade chip for them. But two years ago, he was a rookie of the year candidate. He had 15 home runs, 65 RBIs. He was just 22 years old. He's still a switch hitter. He's a good defender. How do you know when it is time to say, you know what? It's probably not going to happen for us here. Maybe it's best for us to move on and get an asset in return. Look, nobody knows that your player is better than your own organization. If some, if somebody outside of your organization knows your player is better then there's something really, really wrong. Uh, you should know your players better than anybody. And when it, and when you feel it's time to move on, it's time to move on. And sometimes it's not so much anything other than the player needs, you know, a, a change of scenery. And you've heard that, you know, that said before, but you know, once you get, the player going through your minor league system and you've had certain guys manage them, hitting coaches, working with them. Um, you know, so you all, let's say all your player development, you've had scouts look at them. You've had your analysts, you know, crunch every number that you can possibly think of at that point you say, okay, we're going to just move on. And then sometimes it's not so much physical, but sometimes also it's either emotional or sometimes, you know, it's just a mental aspect of the game that you might not feel that the player is your kind of player, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's going to produce, but he, maybe he just, he's not your kind of player uh, that you want in the organization for whatever reason. So there's a lot of reasons why you might want to move on from that player. Now in saying that you have other teams, you know, looking at uh, from the outside, looking in and they're, they're, they're crunching numbers and they're analyzing too. And they'll have people out there looking at, you know, the makeup of that player and what can we do to make him better? And there are certain teams out there that feel if we acquire this guy for the right price, then I, we think we can make him a better baseball player and then he can produce for us. So you've got to find that match out there in the trade market. Al, final one from me. When it comes to the trade deadline, and you've been through plenty of these as a general manager, John Mosaic made it very clear that this team needs help on the pitching side of things. How difficult of a position is that to trade for at a deadline if you're looking to retool with pitching? Yeah, you know, pitching is is uh, is always a high commodity, and you know, that's why you see a lot of pitchers being drafted, and you want to develop your own pitchers because when you go after pitching in the free agent market, uh, it's usually a, a, an expensive venture, and also. Uh, obviously risky. So, and, and the trade market is no different. Uh, if you're going after a really good pitcher that's producing, um, you know, you're going to have to give up something that, that uh, is going to hurt, especially if you're trying to win. So um, it's, it's not easy, but uh, sometimes you do, if, if it's, if you're going to go after some good pitching in particular, if that pitcher, you still have control years over him, you're going to have to overpay a little bit uh, to, to get that. And, 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 and it usually comes with an offensive player uh, in return. Al, final one. We'll get you out of here on this. The Cardinals have said all year long, or really recently after we've seen them struggle, they're going to have to change the model. And part of that would require them to pay more for pitching, starting pitching specifically. Uh, this offseason, there are some really good pitching free agents, but as you know, as well as anybody, it's really expensive to be able to get those guys to sign, and it's going to cost years, and it's going to cost money. What if the Cardinals decide to go that route? Are they signing up for by getting into the big market starting pitching uh, money? How how difficult is that to do? How scary is that as a general manager to do? Well, uh, you, you, just, you just kind of repeated what I said as far as pitching is very expensive, but I would say 
be careful because uh, there's a lot of pitching out there um, that, you know, I, this this past year, you, you, I'm not going to name names, but there, there's been some pitchers that were signed for big contracts that uh, they're hurt all of a sudden, big names. And so um, that, that's the risk. But I, I will say this. The Cardinals have had a lot of success over a lot of years, and they've made a lot of good, smart moves. So I, I don't think – I don't think Mo is the type of guy who's going to go out there and take huge risks on huge money uh, in that in that sense. I, I, I think it's it's more you, you it's better be a little bit more prudent and go a little bit more after uh, you know let's say a little bit more of a uh, middle ground per se because once you make those big moves and you spend that big money you you you, you could put yourself into a big hole. I would say if you're going to risk something that much, uh, you do it at the trade deadline. You're doing it short or short term. You know, the Mets did, you know, kind of like, a, uh, you know, the new thing where, you know, you pay the, the big dollars, but for very short years, you know, a couple years. So um, I, I would say you, you, you try to minimize the risk as much as you can. Al, it's been great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate the time as always. And hopefully we'll be able to talk with you again soon about maybe what the Cardinals decided to do and looking back at what they did at the trade deadline. No problem. I'll be here for you. Absolutely. That's Al Avila, former Tigers general manager. He was with them from 2015 to 2022, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Alex, a couple of things that stood out to me about that conversation. Number one, quote, if other teams know your players better than you do, something is wrong. And then what he said there at the end, where he said, hey, listen, I know John Mosellock a little bit. My guess would be he's probably going to be in the mid-tier starting the pitching market. Which goes back to the uh, the idea that maybe it's a Sonny Gray. Oh, so hold James on. Alex Pax. Cobb. So they're keeping James Paxton. So they're going to run it back with the same offense, and then they're going to go into free agency in the middle of the market for pitching. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that sounds like a World Series contender. Or if, at best, make the playoffs. And, rely and on anything our, can happen. And rely on our depth for our bullpen. Yeah. You guys want to jump on my side of the bus right now? Of Chef's kiss. Guys, doubting this team? Can I... Let's do this on the other side. No. I, I can't, man. No. So, I've done a lot of yelling, and it's only been an hour. 15. All this caffeine's kicking in. The, the, the heart's pumping. Is it unfair? Am I being unfair to the Cardinals? Am I overreacting? Because I'm officially getting a little worried. I'm a little worried about what A the little? Pl- trying to be measured. <clears throat> I'm a little worried about what the plan is at the trade deadline and what that signifies going into the offseason. So we're going to talk about that. I want to hear from you guys as well. Do you feel like in the audience right now, we are overreacting to the Tyler O'Neill news, to the pitching issues that this team has and what they're potentially going to be willing to do in the offseason and at the deadline and the fact that they're probably going to end up moving on from one of these outfielders not named Tyler O'Neill and they could potentially come to regret that as well. We'll get into all of it and whether or not we're overreacting. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills right now. And maybe it's just a me problem. 
It's entirely possible. Sometimes, Alex, people have said that I am a bit reactionary. You. It's been something that I have been labeled as at times in my life. I don't think I'm overreacting here. Now, nobody ever thinks they're overreacting, right? Yeah. I only overreact for good on the blues side of things. Exactly. Otherwise, I'm even cool keel. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. But when I read earlier today in Katie Wu's piece that the Cardinals are planning to hold on to Tyler O'Neill at the trade deadline because they don't believe that they're getting enough in return right now, the only way that they would tell him is, quote, barring a contending team taking a gamble on O'Neill's ceiling and buying high. End quote. Well, that ain't happening. Let's be honest. <laughs> and then we just listened to Bill DeWitt Third, who was on with uh, the Cardinals radio network earlier today. And... I'll read you a couple of the quotes that he said on their station. Tell me if these make sense going together. Hopefully I get a good sense of the direction we're going here. We definitely want to make some changes. This is an unusual year for us. We're not used to chasing the rest of the division, but in a way it's kind of exciting to approach the deadline with a different perspective. If you're in this position, you do look to next year with some moves. The goal would be to get better for this year, really to look toward improving the team for next season as well. Then he was asked a follow-up question, basically. So you guys aren't tearing this thing down, right? We can go ahead and write that off. This was Bill with the third's answer. You never say never. You have to see what's happening with the rest of the marketplace. We still have a little ways to go before the other side of the uh, way knows what their transactions are going to look like. Until you know what the other teams are willing to give you, you really don't know what extent you might be looking to make t- changes, end quote. What the f***? Now, that's a word salad that basically amounts to a big shrug emoji. We don't know. Now, here's why I find that to be interesting. Because, Alex, if they were in the spot that I I thought they were in, the answer is just a clear and resounding no. Like, all you have to do, and I don't know who this benefits for them to say this publicly with Bill DeWitt III, and he's very measured. All you have to do is say, well, listen, we don't, do full teardowns here in St. Louis. Our fans come out 3 million per season, and we believe that our responsibility as an organization is to win every year for them. This season has been unacceptable, but we will continue building around Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, two future Hall of Famers, because we believe that those guys can get us right back on track in 2024 if we surround them with the requisite amount of talent. End quote. That is an easy thing to say in nobody. And I mean, nobody. And this fan base should look at that kind of a quote and say, oh, man, they don't get it. But when I hear him say you never say never about what they're going to do at the trade deadline, Alex, it does make me a little worried that I've been reading this wrong. And maybe they will consider moving on from some of their bigger trade assets. And instead of moving on from like. I was talking about Tommy Edmond or Brendan Donovan or Nolan Gorman or Lars Nupar as the quote unquote big trade chips that'll get you a significant return. If they're looking to bigger stuff like Goldie, for example, I I just don't know how you can sell that to me, to Tanner, to Alex, to our audience and say, 
yeah, we're getting better for 2024 by shipping off a future Hall of Famer who's putting together another really great season in 2023. Over a guy who's played 30 games for you this season and pretty much every season has been injured. Over a guy that has had over 1,500 at-bats in the outfield and still really don't know what he is. Over multiple guys at the second base position that both could play there, but you're continuing to opt to play one in the outfield, one as a DH, one as a second baseman, one moving around over carrying three catchers on your roster because you're uncertain if one can be an everyday catcher, but yet we're going to trade a guy who was an MVP last year because we really don't know how to fit everybody else into our plan. I'm sorry, but that's not, that's not the method of running a successful team. And I know nothing about running successful teams, but watching this, it doesn't scream it, success. It's becoming crystal clear they have no direction of how to fix this for they 24 have no been here. They've never been here, so like I, I understand that, but like you've got to come up with a direction. You've got to come up with a plan. And right now there is become and maybe there's a plan that's just not publicly available. You know what it is? The Cardinals have been really bad at messaging. The Cardinals are great at messaging a good team. Dude, have you seen some of the giveaways that they have on a year-to-year basis? <laughs> if you guys got any of those bobbleheads this year, pretty good, right? Pretty good. Some of the caps that they've got, the jerseys that they've got, Look it's over great. Here. The packages that they have for their ticket sales that go on sale every Christmas. You get those things in your stocking. It's great, right? You love the messaging when this team's winning. When they're losing, dude. Think about the messaging that we've received so far this year. The Wilson Contreras stuff. Now, I didn't have an issue with it, but for some, the Tyler O'Neill thing earlier in the season. Just all of the wishy-washiness about the trade deadline. And then, oh, we're ready to sell. Pitching, pitching, pitching. And then for like a week, they start winning again. And it's like, ooh, are they going to they gonna sell? Are they trying to win? What's going on here? And now the Tyler O'Neill stuff, the build with the... Like, all of this messaging that's come out in 2023 while they're losing has been abysmal. And this is just PR. And it's hard, and there's a lot of teams that are really used to the whole PR thing about losing. The Cardinals are very much not. And so a lot of this, what I'm reacting to, and maybe it is overreaction, is just reacting to their messaging. And if they were better at it and had a more coherent message as to what they're doing... I think it would be easier for us to understand. Now, ultimately, what matters is the actions, not the words, right? If we get to this time next week and Tyler O'Neill's traded and Paul DeYoung's elsewhere and Hicks and Flaherty and Montgomery are dealt and they get a bunch of pitching in return and everything's hunky-dory and it's like, oh, okay, all of that was just just nonsense. It was just lead up to the trade deadline. Okay, cool. And we can look back on this and have a good laugh together, right? But if the messaging is going to lead to the actions... Man, their messaging has sure been off this season. And honestly, I don't know what the offseason is going to entail. I genuinely have no idea what their plans are. And that's why if like the messaging we're receiving is accurate right now, and this is kind of the plan for the deadline, I don't feel like they have a plan going into 24. Outside of pitching, 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 but that's not much of a plan. How are you going to get pitching, pitching, pitching? Exactly. Everybody needs pitching, pitching, pitching. Like Everything that is coming out right now and all the stuff that surrounded them and their 40-man roster, hell, even their active 26-man roster, has been very confusing. The messaging's been terrible. But I think it's because, one, they've never been here before, but two, I just don't think they really have a clear and coherent plan as to how they're going to get out of it and get things turned around for 2024. I think they have multiple scenarios playing out in their head right now, how they're going to do it, but they haven't said, they've done this with the outfield, or they haven't picked somebody. They haven't said, okay, we're just going to go down this path. We have five paths in front of us. 
let's choose this one and let's just go down it. Let's see if it works. I think they're just sitting there right now going, we truly don't have an idea. We've got too many options to lay out right now. It's time to choose that path. Exactly. And and the Tyler O'Neill, like this door that they're going behind with Tyler O'Neill remaining on the Cardinals, that's not a path. They're choosing the middle ground again. They're saying, you know what? We want our cake and to eat it too. So all that pitching that we're getting, eh, it's probably actually going to be like double A guys that maybe two years from now can help us. Like that's what you're getting in return for these starters. People realize that, right? You're not getting for Jack Flaherty or Jordan Montgomery or probably Jordan Hicks either. The overwhelming likelihood, you get prospects in return for those guys, for rentals that are helping contending clubs. And this idea that they're just going to overhaul the rotation by trading their rentals, that's not how it works. You need pitching, both in bullpen and in uh, starters, for next year. Like, you need, like, seven major league pitchers for next season. How are you getting that without trading some of these controllable pieces? And if you're deciding to keep Tyler O'Neill, like, what are you moving on from? That That's where I have a tough time. And if you're choosing to keep Tyler O'Neill over a Dylan Carlson, over a Lars Newtbar, man, you want to talk about a messaging nightmare. Good luck selling that one to this fan base. You know how you fix your messaging problem? You're straight up and honest about it. And I that's I know Jamie's made the cut multiple times. Uh, that's what I appreciated about Doug Armstrong this season. From the moment that losing streak kicked in, you knew what the plan was for this team, and he backed it up, and they went with it. I, I haven't even gotten a clear message of what the plan was. First, I was told that we still believe we can be competitive and we're kind of standing pat. Then the message turned into, yeah, we're probably going to say uh, trade a lot of pieces. We just don't know who they are, but pitching, 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 our eye is on 2024. And now we're getting name after name after name after name that we're saying, yeah, but we can't trade this guy because he's a part of our winning plans for 2024. And like, yeah, I understand that this is uncharted territory, but to me, you've got to have somebody who's in charge that can handle no matter what comes at them. And right now, it's very evident that Mo is uncomfortable in this position and is not willing to make the necessary moves. He's not willing to be bold enough to make the moves that gets pieces off of this roster that preps you for 2024 so that you can give these guys opportunities to figure out who fits into your 2024 plan. that's plans. where I will push back a little bit. I don't know. I genuinely don't know if he's willing to be bold enough because it would be bold to trade Paul Goldschmidt. Now, I think it would be a mistake, but if they think that part of their problem, and I I think some of this is true, if they think part of their problem is, hey, our outfield defense was a nightmare this year, that's not getting better with Jordan Walker out there. And this is why I asked the question the other day, guys, what does the runway look like for Jordan Walker in the outfield? At what point do they have to say, hey, we, we can't continue developing you in the outfield on a contending club because there will come a point in time. I don't know if that's next year. I don't know if that's three years from now. I'm not sure. Maybe it's now. But yesterday they decided in a game that, let's be honest, does not matter. They decided to take Jordan Walker out of that game defensively in like, what, the sixth inning? Yeah. For Tyler O'Neill. That is not nothing. They are telling you with that move, that is an action, not a word. They are terrified of Jordan Walker's defense in the outfield, and they should be. It's been really bad. So if they say, you know what, we're ready to call it right now. Jordan Walker is not an outfielder. Well, then that's going to make another move for you just by making that move because you either then have to come to terms with him being a DH, a first baseman, or a third baseman. 
And then whatever you decide there, that will then require you to make another move by opening that spot up. Or there's door number four, you trade Jordan Walker. Now, again, I want to make this very clear. I wouldn't do any of that. Oh, Tanner's getting red. I would run it back with Jordan Walker in the outfield next year. I would. But the Tyler O'Neill piece, the actions about Jordan Walker, sending him back down earlier this year, like the the questions that I'm now seeing about what their decisions are going to be at the de- all of this is making us wonder what is the plan? What is this going to look like? And so when you say you're you don't think that jo- uh, John Mozeliak is going to be bold enough, I think he might be too bold in what he's going to do. And he's making the decisions that are like three steps above what they really need to do. This offense is really good. The lineup we saw yesterday, it's I've told you guys the numbers earlier today. This is the best offense by some numerical standards since 2011 for the Cardinals. Build around that. You need to overhaul the pitching, but that requires them to get uncomfortable in other ways where we have seen they just decide not to do this. Or you can't build around your offense if you're trading pieces and you have to trade pieces off of this offense to make your pitching better. Good point. You can't run it back and say the offense is great. Let's do it again next year and go to the middle of the free agent market and improve our pitching staff. That's not how you get it done. It's a good point. And that's why I want to talk about the pitching side of things coming up next. There was a piece earlier today over in the athletic about who the pitchers are that are most likely to be traded at the deadline. I looked into the four starters that have control remaining. So the types of pitchers at the Cardinals, let's be honest, are probably looking at it this year's deadline. We'll tell you who those four pitchers are and what we would think if the Cardinals acquired one of them coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. There's a reason that they're not asking for prospects below the double-A level. They want major league-ready talent or talent that is knocking at the door and could be major league-ready by spring training or early 2024. But I think in terms of what we're looking for, what the Cardinals are looking for this deadline, is bolstering as bolstering as much major league-ready talent or close-to-ready talent as they can. That was Katie Wu on with us yesterday talking about what the Cardinals plan is at the trade deadline alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So Alex earlier today, the athletic put together a list of the players that are most likely to be traded from each team at the deadline. They came up with one player, the single most likely player to be dealt at this year's deadline. There were not a whole lot of starters on that trade list. I want to start out with that. There were even fewer starters on the list that are likely to be dealt that have multiple years of club control remaining. There were a total of four of them. One is currently in the major leagues and has been in the major leagues for a significant time. The other three are more prospect slash on the cusp of being at the big league level. Let's go through a few of these, Alex, because I do think that it gives us a little bit of an example of the kinds of players the Cardinals could be looking to acquire at this year's trade deadline. Okay. So the first one is from the Cleveland Guardians, Aaron Savali. Now, this is a guy that is 28 years old. He has started 11 games this year for the Cleveland Guardians. He's been pretty good for them, has a 2.7 ERA. But he's more in line with what the Cardinals' previous iteration of starters is. He doesn't strike out a whole lot of batters. He has 
excellent command, and he's going to pitch a little bit to contact, and he's just kind of going to live with the results of what that contact is. 63 innings, has 49 strikeouts this year. Again, though, 270 RA. Question to that. What are you going to have to give up to get this player? I don't know. Because I don't know what the this, pro- value is in in the modern game for a player like Aaron Savali. This to me, if I mean this, if you're able to acquire him without having to give up significant assets, this seems like somebody who would make sense towards the back end of your rotation. Sure. And it would be a good piece to have. Obviously, you're not changing your model that T-Bone's been talking about, but you're getting a guy who has had success at the major league level by pitching to contact this season. So I, I would be intrigued by this. But that's like I'm not giving up a Nolan Gorman or a Brendan Donovan. I'm talking about maybe some of my assets that I'm trying to sell off. What if you could do like a, I don't know, a Dylan Carlson and a Gordon Graceffo type of move? I would probably do that because that makes me better for next season. Yeah, I, I would definitely entertain that offer. I, I just don't know how much I'm truly in on Savali because of he pitches to contact. And I feel like with Mats and Michaelis, though Mats does have some swing and miss. And if I continue to see that, then, okay, I, I guess I understand the move for Savali. Then your two contact pitchers, quote-unquote, are Michaelis and Savali, and you're looking for more swing and miss but to what if around the t- what if the top two guys that you target are swing and miss guys, and then Michaelis, Savali, and Mats, or whomever else you have, are those back-end guys? I, that, to me, at least is intriguing, and it's better than what you have right now. I think it's intriguing, but I think you could do better. And, and that would be I'm my not, argument I'm not for sure it. you can, buddy. Well, in theory, you can. Um, but I, I, to me, Savali is just the same guy you have already, which is pitch to contact. And guess what we're at right now, St. Louis? We're retooling on the fly a pitching staff that already pitches to contact. So I just don't have interest in Savali. I want a guy that's going to miss bats, and he does not do that. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with T-Bone on that one. But if you end up getting to the trade deadline, and we know how this works. There's typically not a ton of controllable pitching that is, is available. This is a guy that has had legitimate success at the big league level. And, and this you, you can't just turn your nose up at that because I've seen what it looks like we all have when you have young prospects that are trying to make their way up to the big league level for success. It takes a while, guys. If we think that one of these prospects that they trade for at the deadline this year is going to just come up next year and start 30 games for the Cardinals and have a 3-5 ERA, it, it almost never happens. Not for the guys that they're likely to get. Now, Spencer Strider, that's one thing. Uh, Cardinals aren't trading for Spencer Strider at the trade deadline. And the fact that he's doing well this season with the banning of the shift at least gives me optimism. Because if this was a guy who had a significantly low ERA with pitching to contact last season and this year he was struggling, I would be a lot more skeptical of it. But if he's having success this season, maybe that plays into your cards. That just seems like the best you're going to get for a Dylan Carlson, which is tough to say. Yeah. And the other thing with Savali you got to keep in mind is uh, you're taking him from a place where he has really good defense behind him to a place where... Well, we got good defense. The defense is up and down. At least the infield. There are moments where it looks great, and then other moments where it looks like it could be the worst defense in all of Major League Baseball. So that is something to keep in mind whenever you've got these pitch-to-contact guys. Now, he is, again, the only established Major Leaguer that is on this list. The few of the others, we don't have to spend as much time on them. Uh, But the Marlins have a pitcher on this list named Patrick Montverde. He is interesting to me, Alex. He's 25 years old. He's in double A right now, so he's a little bit older for that level. But he's also been dominating at that level. And the thing that I find really interesting about him, he's actually thrown innings, which is unique in the minor leagues. And maybe it speaks to why the Marlins are having so much success with their pitching development, by the way. 15 games this year started for the Marlins double A affiliate. 85 innings. 
He is striking out 10 batters per nine innings. He is not like some top flight prospect or anything like that. He's a former eighth eighth round pick in 2021. He was um, Texas Tech guy, so he's college pitcher, eighth round, not some like high upside player. Talking about a back end of the rotation starter, maybe in a couple of years, is that the type of player that you'd be interested in the Cardinals acquiring? Yes, yeah, because this is somebody that you're taking a gamble on that turns into somebody who could be quality for you next season. It's a triple A pitcher that you're hoping can take that next step next year. This would be one of those moves that I would imagine you're trading one of these these free agents to be that you can get a young pitcher in return. He's a lefty. He's got swing and miss stuff. He's been really good at the triple a level. I would be, I would be optimistic if they were to pull a deal off like that at the trade deadline, because that is, that is having eyes on 2024. Yeah. This is the kind of arm that they need to be targeting a guy that's got some swing and miss to his game. And though he's in double A right now, when you acquire him, you can put him in triple A and start developing him there too. And if he's already at 84 and two thirds innings, he's going to finish the year probably a little over 100 innings. I wonder if you could get somebody like this for like a Paul DeYoung. Maybe maybe a Dylan Carlson. I I mean, Carlson, I would expect a significantly better return than this for. But I I, I wonder if, I don't know if it's Paul DeYoung. Maybe it ends up being like a Tyler O'Neill type. It could be DeYoung because if you acquire DeYoung, you acquire potentially two and a half years of control because he does have the club options and the team that acquires him. If he plays well, like for example, you send him to Miami here, Miami can say, Oh, you know what? We liked Paul DeYoung. We can pick up that $12 million option. So I, I think you could probably acquire this type of arm, maybe not specifically this guy and Miami being the team that fits for DeYoung, yeah. but I think you can acquire this type of arm for a Paul DeYoung. And that's what they should be targeting. Cause again, this guy's going to finish with probably over a hundred innings in the minor leagues this Absolutely. year. Which means potentially, potentially, if he's ready to go next year and you think he can come in and slide in as like a number five for your rotation as a rookie, he could go like 130 innings. I was just looking to see what Strider did. And again, I'm not saying this guy's going to be Spencer Strider, but Spencer Strider in his rookie year threw 131 innings. Like if you think you can get a minor league guy that can throw 115 to 131 innings, yeah, absolutely. You should be looking for that guy, and especially if he's got some swing and miss stuff. So we've talked a lot about Clayton Beater. He's also on this list. He's the uh, starting pitcher, uh, big-time prospect for the New York Yankees. Now, Alex, you mentioned Dylan Carlson. This is the guy that I think you could potentially get with Dylan Carlson, or I would hope that you could get with Dylan Carlson. Really good pitcher. He has a 3.3 ERA this year at AAA. He's only been down there for a few starts, but he dominated uh, AA for the New York Yankees. He's somebody that I think you can expect to see in the big leagues next year. Yeah. So each one of these players, is kind of on a different timeline in terms of how much and how quickly they will be able to help the Cardinals. I think Beater is exactly the type of pitcher that they should be looking to acquire. There is still some upside there. He does have legitimate strikeout stuff. He's very close to the big league level, and you could get him without having to pay like an exorbitant cost. We've spent a decent amount of time talking about him, though, so I want to move on to the next player on this list, Alex, and that's Cody Bradford who is a left-handed starting prospect for the uh, Texas Rangers. He has been up a little bit this year. He started five games, and he's also pitched a decent amount out of the bullpen for the Texas Rangers. He has a 4.7 ERA this year. Decent strikeout stuff, not great. This is another one of those back-end-of-the-rotation starters that you're probably looking at four, maybe a five-starter for another team. He is somebody that I really like, Alex. Because he's already at the big league level, we have seen proof of concept. It does work when he comes up to the major leagues. He doesn't just suddenly become a 4A pitcher where you're like, ah, well, we lost on that trade. He was dominating at AAA, and now he's been really good at the major league level. I have 
no idea what the cost would be for a player like this because once again this is not a big time prospect that you're acquiring but he has a ton of control remaining I would love to see them acquire somebody like Cody Bradford, whether it's him specifically or somebody that is in that vein. All of these trades, to me, I would look at it as a successful trade deadline because all of these addressed something that you needed. Now, you still have a massive task in the offseason of finding a one and two in your rotation and guys that have swing and miss stuff. That's the part that I'm skeptical on. But if you make any of these trades or multiple trades to get multiple of these guys, You've addressed part of your problem. You've upgraded your pitching for 2024. You've brought in guys who could contribute at the major league level, either competing for that fifth or fourth spot in your rotation or use them as bullpen arms. And you acquire these guys from trading pieces that you're selling off that you're not bringing back. That's a win. How would you feel if they traded Jack Flaherty to the Rangers and in return they got Cody Bradford plus like a lottery ticket prospect? Win. I'd say probably a win because, I mean, you're acquiring a guy that's got some big league experience. As you said, you see the proof of concept that it's worked, at least to a certain extent, and you hope that he becomes even better than that. So I would say that's probably a win because you're acquiring one pitcher that's already ready that you know can take his spot in the rotation, and also you have a chance at a lottery ticket that if you develop him the right way, I mean, Cardinals took a lottery ticket on Juan Yepes in the Matt Adams deal, and Juan Yepes has been a... Well, if he were up here, a solid, a, player. a solid contributing major league bat. Somebody on the text line says, please turn off your mic. A 4-7 ERA, and that's what you're looking for in return for Jack Flaherty. That's ridiculous. This is what the Cardinals are going to have to decide. What are we looking for? Do we want upside, or do we want somebody that we're pretty sure is going to be in our rotation next year? Because if you're looking for upside, that guy's going to be years away. You're looking at a high A ball uh, type of pitcher, like somebody that is now where Tinkins was two years ago. And that's a rebuild. Exactly. If you're looking to reload this rotation going into next year, this is exactly the type of guy that you're probably going to have to settle for. Now, the upside is not significant here. I think his best case scenario for a guy like Bradford or somebody that's the equivalent, is like a number four starter. But you're pretty sure you're getting a guy that's going to be in your rotation for the next three or four years at a minimum. That has real value because now you can start slotting guys in in front of him. So this becomes the reason why I wanted to bring these guys up. They're all different levels of what you're expecting in return for him. You also have to give up significant assets for some of them. But it can kind of it's a choose your own adventure of what path the Cardinals decide they're going down and what level of starting pitcher they're looking to acquire. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. T-Bone, what do you got for us? Guys, we missed our chance to go to New York City and experience the annual celebration of nudity and artistry. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Well, what it is, because I know you were desperate. You really to know. need to explain what nudity and artistry is? You're right. It's probably self-explanatory. Uh. <laughs> in case you didn't know, organizers will paint somebody that is naked and make them a work of art and they i guess they stand outside for a couple of hours and let people just stare at them how oh. much money would either of you need to stand naked in public for people to paint you well 
Uh, I mean, I feel like you'd need the life-changing money because I don't know that you would be able to do this job anymore. So why? I'm a, work of, I'm a work of it's art. It's art, isn't okay. it? I'm not disturbing the public. That's uh, true. A few hundred K. I feel like I'm pretty reasonable with my request. I'd do it and for like, like nobody would do that to see me naked, obviously. That would be a terrible decision by whoever did it. But I would, I would do it for at least $5,000. <laughs> I'd do it for, for 5K? Yeah. I'd do it oh, for yeah. about 25. Really? Yeah. I'm cheap with that. I don't care. If you're going to pay me to stand nude see, somewhere, I'm That's in. my thing. I don't care as long as I can continue doing this and make a living. Yeah. Well, I don't understand why you would, man. You're a work. Yeah. What it was a very public profession here. Exactly. I, I would think our bosses would. Uh, They'd probably appre- enjoy I think it. our bosses appreciate the okay. arts. If I get the guarantee that I could still yeah. do this, it, no problem. I'm in. I enjoy the show Impractical Jokers, and that was one of their punishments where they forced one of them to stand nude at a, plain, a paint place sure. and like have everybody paint them. That was a brutal punishment to watch because, man, I felt his. Are you thinking that's one of ours this year? It would be great. It would be great. I felt his embarrassment when he was standing there and, like, you know, having to pose. And it's like, ah, yeah, that'd be tough. I'm trying to decide what I want to be painted as if I were to do this. What are you talking about? They would paint you as yourself. Merman? They would paint you as yourself. No, no, not that. This in New York where they don't paint you. They paint you into a piece of art. They don't paint you on a paper. Hot dog. Uh, Yeah, hot dog. Or garden them. One of those two. He doesn't need to be painted for that. He just stands. Yeah. Just well, you got to put the hat on him in like a suit. Oh, good point. Good point. And if he's paint, in the nude, it would be a nude. would be Pinocchio. Let's be honest. Yeah. Absolutely. What would I be, guys? Not going there. Coming up next. Ah, why was Yvonne Herrera Great. sent down yesterday, and what can the Cardinals learn from that decision? We'll talk about it next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101. ESPN. Yeah, it's definitely a numbers game. And uh, the the third catcher, knowing that Wayno's going today, has 60 pitches, we need to be able to get a fresh arm in. And uh, so we get Suarez here, and uh, we also need a roster spot to activate Wayno. So it was just more numbers, but uh, Herrera did a really nice job um, behind the plate, received well, blocked well. He handled our pitchers extremely well, and he took some really good at-bats for us. So it was good to see him up here, and uh, we look forward to having him again. That was Ollie Marmel yesterday talking about why the team decided to send Yvonne Herrera down. That was some news that certainly took a lot of people, including us, by surprise yesterday. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Uh, guys, I think the Cardinals need to learn a little bit from what happened yesterday with their decision to send Yvonne Herrera down. These are the current outfielders that are on the Major League roster. Alec Burleson, Dylan Carlson, Lars Newtbar, Tyler O'Neill, Jordan Walker. There are five of them that are currently on the Major League roster. And you could argue six, but Brendan Donovan can't throw the baseball right now, so he is exclusively being used as your designated hitter. This is a roster crunch, and we've seen this happen a dozen times so far this year, where a guy gets squeezed out of playing time. Jordan Walker had it happen to him. Now we're seeing it with Yvonne Herrera because of their roster crunch with players that they are just unwilling to let go, Alex. And so this is one of the many reasons why earlier today when we got the news from Katie Wu that the Cardinals are not planning to move on from Tyler O'Neill at the deadline, why it came as a surprise to me. Because when you get into situations like this, and I was the one that was arguing against them holding three catchers earlier in the season, but holding on to Yvonne Herrera is very different than holding on to Trez Barrera. 
Herrera has a future here, potentially. This is a guy you want to see catching at the big league level the rest of this season. And if their plan is, you know what, we really needed a pitcher yesterday because we didn't know how long Wayno was going to be able to go. And next week, when we make all of these moves, we're going to have Herrera right back up. Fine, it is what it is. I hate that they had to send him down because of this roster crunch, but this is one of those potential uh, learning moments from them. You gotta start getting rid of this roster crunch, man. They have too many guys that are playing in the exact same positions. They have a lot of overlap on this roster right now. And so, Alex, yesterday, it costed playing time for Ivan Herrera. Soon, it's going to be costing playing time for one of these outfielders if they decide not to move on from Tyler O'Neill. It's something this organization has to get better at. Decide who you're going to run with and give them those opportunities. That's why as much as we sit here and say that, you know, you have to be cautious with the way you make moves because you want to make sure that you're making the right decision. And some guys, as Al Avila told us earlier in the show, you're just not certain if you're really done with them or not. To me, I think you just have to purge at this trade deadline and get rid of a lot of players that are blocking this for you. I mean, to eliminate multiple pitchers so that you can open up more space for arms that can actually give you some mileage the rest of the way and also some opportunities to get rid of certain players in the infield that, one, aren't in the plans for 2024, or two, are blocking other players that you want to see who they are, like a Paul DeYoung for a Mason win. And then you're right, this outfield situation, to me, from August 2nd until the end of the season, guys like Yvonne Herrera, Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker, Alec Burleson, they should be playing on a daily basis because I want to know that at the end of the regular season, these guys on my 40-man roster will be playing at the major league level in 2024. And then all of those other blank or holes or question marks that you have – Now you got to fill those names via trade or via free agency. But to sit here and say, well, we can't trade this guy or this guy or this guy or this guy because they fit into our plans. Well, your plans are going to be the same next year because you're going to be sitting here with uncertainty saying, well, how does he fit in for 2024? I want to know that 2024 is already scripted out for me. Yeah, they've got to clean up this roster logjam because you basically, with your actions and your words, had been saying, Yvonne Herrera, there is a chance this guy is our 2024 catcher even though you've got an $85 million catcher on the roster. They basically had been saying that, and then they just sent him back down to Memphis because they just can't figure anything out in terms of what their roster construction is. Like, that should not happen. That that cannot happen. A winning organization, hell, even a organization that is just running properly shouldn't have this kind of a issue with their roster. And they are just so right now caught in between in anything that they are doing, caught in between in not making decisions with their outfielders, caught in between in not making decisions with the, any of their uh, – with their 40-man roster as a whole to where they were kind of put into the numbers game and they said, okay, we're going to send down, we, we have to send down Herrera. We just have no other option to do it. And that shouldn't have been the case. And look, Kisner had options. Kisner's who I would have optioned down yesterday so I could see more of Yvonne Herrera. We know what but Kisner is. Exactly. And it doesn't, it, the problem they run into though is they continue to play that numbers game and I, it's just baffling. It is just baffling to see the spot that so they've gotten it, to with I their roster. Like, Forget the Kisner thing, because I think they're probably just doing good by a veteran at that point. Uh, Kisner has been nothing but a good soldier for them, and maybe people don't value this, and that's fine, but they probably want him to just stick with the big league roster because they don't view him as a AAA player at this point. That's fine. I- I've got no issues with that. So keep the three. I kind of um, have an issue with it, but it's fine. <laughs> fair enough. Keep the three guys on three catchers on your roster, and, and we move forward. Guys, Brendan Donovan can't throw right now. Now, he's hitting really well. 
But these games do not matter. I know we all want them to, but they don't. If you wanted to place him on the IL for the next 10 days while you're trying to get your roster through this roster crunch going into the trade deadline, that would have been a totally reasonable thing to do. Nolan Gorman. He's not played the last couple of days. Now, it's expected that he's going to be back in the lineup at some point over the next couple of days. If you wanted to put him on the 10-day ILs, go ahead. Get him on the IL while this back issue is hurting him. Again, he is not a guy that's going to make a tangible difference in terms of your playoff seating by playing over the course of the next week or so. And that's really all you'd be doing there because it'd be retroactive to a couple of days ago. So for one week... You get to see what Yvonne Herrera does, and you have Nolan Gorman resting up that back that is clearly ailing him right now. Those were easy decisions that did not require you to send a guy that you want to see more of down to the minor leagues. I would have personally gone with with Nolan Gorman in that spot. I understand the Brendan Donovan one because it opens up that DH spot for Wilson Contreras to get everyday opportunities right now while you have Yvonne Herrera as your everyday catcher. I just think there were other ways to go about this to open up the 26-man roster spot that they were clearly unwilling to explore. Yeah, and I agree with you. I I don't understand the point of keeping a guy like Donovan right now on the active roster when he can't throw. Like, yes, I understand his bat is playing well, but you're right. They, the games just it don't limits matter. what you're able to do. Yeah, and he's he's kind of blocking that DH spot right now to where even when they had three catchers, I bet they would love to play Contreras at the DH and catch Yvonne Herrera or catch Andrew Kisner. But they have to pick, and they have to kind of rotate between the catchers at the catcher position because they're limited in what they can do at the DH spot with Donovan. And the Gorman one is the same same conversation. Yeah, I get it. It's a back injury, and sure, he's going to be fine in five days. What's the harm in giving him just more rest? Like, I, I understand you're still trying to evaluate Nolan Gorman, and but I think you have a decent idea of what he but is. But you can't evaluate when he's injured. And that's the part. Like, to sit here and act like you can evaluate True. a Nolan Gorman while he's got a back problem, regardless if it's five days, put him on the injured list. And the other thing is, like, Nolan Gorman, you've got a pretty good idea of what he is. Yeah. You're not you're not going to learn in the next week while he's got this back issue who he is as a player. Is there because any, when he's, he's a power hitter from the left side that's going to play average defense. Is there anybody on right this now. team that you're going to learn something about in a week? And that's the thing that I have an issue with, with, like, what people are saying about Tyler O'Neill whenever they decided to showcase him. And nobody's going to fall for anything over no. the next week with Tyler O'Neill. Clearly, got four like, years. based on Katie Wu coming out and saying, according to her sources, multiple sources with the team, there are not teams that are willing to to pay up for Tyler O'Neill. Guys, that ain't changing. If they're not willing to pay up today, whatever he does over the next week, that's that's not going to change. What they decided to do when they put him into the everyday lineup going into the trade deadline is they told you how they value Dylan Carlson. That's what they did. They said, we value Tyler O'Neill more than we value Dylan Carlson. And that is something that scares the hell out of me. And I'm not even that high on Dylan Carlson. I think he's a like above average, maybe a just a flat-out average major league talent. But to value the guy in Tyler O'Neill, who has been the model of inconsistency over Dylan Carlson, who is still 24 years old and has shown real promise at times, I... That's baffling no to me, dude. Absolutely baffling to me. Because if you look towards 2024, again, I'm saying this is somebody that's not as high on Dylan Carlson. Who would you expect more out of for the Cardinals in 24? Dylan Carlson or Tyler O'Neill? My answer is Dylan Carlson because I can't trust Tyler O'Neill. Yep. At least I'm pretty sure Dylan Carlson's going to be available for 120 games. There's no chance I could bet on that for 
Tyler O'Neill. Which His over-under might be 81. Which yeah. is the main reason why I'm so skeptical about this team being handled properly in the offseason and making them competitive and overhauling one area because you can't even handle the 40-man roster correctly right now. And I'm, the, I'm starting to get closer to your The side. thing I don't understand with the O'Neill situation, and I know we're back on to it again, is when it, Mo It's was, impossible to avoid. When, when Mo was on our show back in mm. May or June, I remember him saying, and I don't think he said it the way that, like, the saying goes, but he basically said out loud to us, the best ability is availability. And that was something we need to see from Tyler O'Neill. And every other general manager across yes. Major League Baseball, by the way, heard that and knows that. Yes. So, like, how did that change? What changed to where all of a sudden Tyler O'Neill is a guy that we've got to keep on this roster, even if we are selling low? Like, at some point, you just got to admit, you know what? We screwed this one up. It is time we still get something in return for Tyler O'Neill and not only get something in return, Clear up this log jam that is the outfield. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Boys, let's play a game of better or forget it. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. The Cardinals acquire at least three pitchers at this year's deadline that will factor into either their rotation or their bullpen next year. Three guys at this year's deadline are acquired at the deadline that will factor into either the rotation or the bullpen going into Well, next you year. would have asked me that yesterday. I would have bet it before I even second guessed it. But now that more and more guys get on the untouchable list, uh, I think I'm going to say forget it with this one because a lot of these deals are going to be one pitcher who could factor into that and then another one who's going to be a lottery guy who could be three years from now. And I'm starting to really wonder how many guys are willing to trade. So I'm going to forget this one. I don't think you're going to get that many. I'll bet it because I think you're still moving Jack, Monty, and Hicks and potentially Stratton. So I, I think when that you're able to gain th- at minimum three. So I, I would bet this. I, I think they're getting three arms at least at this deadline. Yeah, I, I think they get a bunch of arms. I'll say at least three that factor into next year. I think that there will be more arms than we would like to see that are further away than like opening day next year being a part of their plans. I just think that's the way that it works at the deadline, unfortunately. The question, though, is how many of those guys are getting traded individually or in packages? Because if you're trading like Hicks and Flaherty and Montgomery and somebody else, you might be getting one high-end Major League Baseball guy and then a couple of guys who won't be there for a few years. Yeah, and I that's just think where the three... no matter what, all of those trades, at least in my opinion, should have one guy coming back that helps you next year. Boy, I hope so. But it's more and more we'll skeptical see. every time the 40-man roster get gets it. adjusted. Bet it or forget it, guys. Paul Goldschmidt finishes his career as a Cardinal. Still betting it. I'm still betting it, but I have never wavered more than I am today. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't look as confident in that. <laughs> now, remember, I said career, not contract. Yeah, yeah. I know. Katie has me shaken. I'm going to be totally up front with the audience. You Katie's... shouldn't believe everything you hear from the media. I know. But I, I trust Katie Wu's sources. And I, I trust her reporting. And her reporting also, maybe this is a little bit of um, 
what is it? The certainty or the, I believe what she is saying. So she is confirm confirmation bias. That's what it is. Yeah, I, she, that's what I thought. She is saying that the Cardinals are a little skeptical of Jordan Walker's future in the outfield. And I am also a little skeptical of Jordan Walker's future in the outfield. And if that is the case, well, there's a spot that makes the most sense for him. And it's first. I'm still, I'm still betting it. I still believe that he's going to be there. Paul Goldschmidt is, but what, what's wild. I'm to, waning. What's wild to me is how fast the Cardinals brass is to say like, yeah, this guy can't play this position in, in one season. I mean, Guys, it is Yvonne historically Herrera, bad. Yvonne Herrera, they saw for seven days last year, and they're like, nope, can't be a good catcher. Just put him in the minors to get rid of him. Well, they, they kept him, and they put him in the minors. They developed him, and this year they, this year they have said he's he's really good. By so he fixed it in a year. I mean, that is possible. It is very possible. So why are we all of a sudden one year, Wilson Contreras stinks at catcher, and you can't because get better? Because he's done it for well, multiple Jordan years. Jordan Walker stinks learned. in the outfield. He can't get better. Well, again, but, I think that one is overreaction. I don't think they're saying that. I think they're saying, man, even better in the outfield is still bad from Jordan Walker's standpoint. Correct. Like, I, I do think we undersell just how, not you, the three of us. I think some fans are underselling just how bad Jordan Walker has been in the outfield. And when I say that, I think people immediately assume, oh, BK's t- saying that Walker's a terrible baseball player. I'm not. Jordan Walker's a really good hitter already. And I still believe, my personal belief, he can get better out there. I think he can be at least an average major league outfielder. I am wondering if the Cardinals believe that. And if they don't, I think it would be fair and then you've got to find where he fits long-term because I don't believe that they see him as a long-term DH. I think that that saps too much of his value. What did Avila tell us? If you don't know your prospects better than other teams, you're not doing your job well yeah. enough. Well, I, I would bet that Goldie is still going to finish his career in St. Louis to the original better to forget it. I, though the Cardinals have said they're changing their model, I don't think that model change includes watching legacy players go. Yeah. So I, I think they're... My guess is they don't trade Goldie. They may listen on offers, and it's just kind of doing their due diligence. But I don't see him going. I, I think he stays. I think he signs a contract extension in spring training, along with Jordan Walker, for that matter. Uh, so. By the way, let's get to this real quick. Better to forget it, guys. The trade deadline ends up being a little bit of a dud here in St. Louis, and the only guys that are dealt are Jordan Hicks, Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, and Paul DeYoung. Those are the only four players that end up getting I'll dealt. Forget this one because I don't think all four of them are going to get dealt. I could see the Cardinals for some reason saying that they think they have a chance to re-sign Flaherty or Montgomery and they keep one of them because they're going to say, well, we need pitching for the rest of the season. I'm going to forget it, and it's not because I don't think they're trading any of those names. I think Carlson's name is involved in there too. I, I think they're moving those five guys. I, I think if they are, if they somehow talk themselves into they can re-sign Jack or Monty and don't move on, that's just... It's bad business. It, it truly is. They they should trade them and have a conversation with them of, hey, we're moving you. It's business. We want you back in next year and try and pull off the Chapman move. I think I think Flaherty has to go. I agree. I agree with that. There is not a future there, guys. It, it's done. Like, it's, it's played out. It's how I feel about Tyler O'Neill. The Montgomery one, I am a little more hesitant to say you just have to move on from him. If you... If you have a pretty firm idea that he's willing to re-sign here and you could get him at a cost that you're comfortable with, I can understand why they would decide to keep him. He he is the one that I I could see it. 
But with Jack, you got to move on. I, I'm betting this, by the I, way. I think that it ends up... I, I could see what you're saying, T-Bone, where they end up adding Dylan Carlson to the list as well. But I wouldn't be surprised if they say, you know what? We want to wait to the offseason to make that move with Dylan Carlson. Because then you get more bidders that are in the market with teams that currently don't need an outfielder. But maybe they've got a guy coming up in free agency where they want to replace him with a cost-controlled guy in Dylan Carlson. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and bet this. T-Bone, what do you got? So we heard Alvila talk about... Um, Mo and his spending in free agency and what it's going to cost to spend on the top tier free agents and how, how uh, what would you call it? Not disturbing, but how tough it is to give up that kind of money in years for those guys. Bet it or forget it. In free agency, the Cardinals will hand out a contract that is either over $20 million per year or longer than five years in term. Bet it. They're going to have to sign a pitcher that's more than $20 million a year. They have to. Even if they re-signed Jordan Montgomery, it's going to cost them probably $20 million plus. Yeah. So I, I would be genuinely shocked if they don't sign at least one starter that is making $20-plus million a year. So I'm going to bet it. I think they will. I, I'm skeptical of it being like 30 plus, and that's where you get into the legit number one. I'm forgetting it. Really? I think they get three guys, two guys around 12 to 15 mil and say like, well, look at what we got for this deal, and we overhauled our pitching like we said we were going to. Awesome. I hate it, but I can absolutely see a... Cobb, Wood, and Paxton all for around 15 mil and say, look at us. Yeah, With I'm, Michaelis and Matts, this rotation is going to be tough. I'm going to forget it just because I want to be optimistic and live longer. Well, but I kind of tend towards the, the Cardinals where have, Alex is saying. Like, I can see where they acquire a, a arm like Clark Schmidt who's like at league minimum. We're going to make like $2 million next year. Then they go, no, we really don't have the resources. And we really don't want to give out more than five years. So let's go get Paxton. We love our lefties. He's got swing and miss. Okay, now let's go get Alex Cobb, who's older and may not cost twenty million dollars. Look at this rotation. Woo-hoo. They're gonna have. They're gonna get like Lucas Giolito. They'll have Michaelis. Oh, they had Matt. Giolito. I'm excited. So hold on. Yeah. Well, let's wait for the rest of this. I don't care. We already got Giolito. Giolito, Michaelis, Matt, Dakota Hudson, <laughs> Clark Schmidt. <laughs> And then Cody Bradford or oh. or Clayton Beater as their number five. Wow. How do you feel that about rotation's that rotation? going to beat everybody. I do. I do like Giolito. He's not in a one yet, but he could become that as we talked about last week. Good Wheeler God. didn't become that till 31. Now you're looking through the Mo glasses. Michaelis. Matt. Got a lot of pitch to contact in that rotation. Schmidt. Oh. And a, a legit for those not familiar, I get it. He's a he's a mid tier. He's a guy. He's that, the most mid tier of mid tier pitchers. He's a guy Yankees, Yankees fans forget about, and he's yeah. on their team. He's a yeah, number no, four starter in every way possible. That rotation stinks. What about Richard Fitz, who we talked about last week? Who? It's all the same. Richard belief, Fitz. Man. He'd fit in. He just wanted to do a dad joke. I'm not even sure that was a real name. No, it's a, it's a name. I don't remember talking about him at all. I've had the optimism beaten out of me. <laughs> someone just someone just texted and said, I wish Ferrari was a Cardinals homer like he is Blues. Pareko, best defenseman in hockey. Why can't O'Neal be the best left fielder in baseball? He was for a year. Yeah, for a year. And you know what? Both have had injury problems that are their back. So yep. I guess they are the same player. For one year, guys. Oh, that glorious season. Man, you could, you could dream on a lot of these guys for one year. You guys remember 21 for Dylan Carlson, too? I did the one-year yeah. dream with Paul DeYoung for about five years. <laughs> Well, that's what we're doing right now with Tyler O'Neill. Yeah. He's on the Dil- uh, Paul DeYoung plane. Dylan, I, I've said this, and I still oh, stick by this. That means we this. got another year of them, then. <laughs> One.
Okay. Buddy, he's though. getting an extension. He's been here since yeah. 2018, all right? I think it's run I, its course. I've said this, and I still stick by this. Tyler O'Neill is going to have a 10- to 15-year big league career that stems just from that 21 season. For sure. Where everybody, including the Cardinals, are going to look at that and go, whoa, if if he's healthy and if everything goes right, we got to steal. Speaking of his uh, career that's been extended because of one season, Oscar Sundquist back with the Blues. One What's season? he going to bring to the table? We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. So Oscar Sundquist is back with the St. Louis Blues. He did a Q&A with our friend Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic the other day. And Alex, you were impressed with a couple of the things that he had to say. What stood out to you in Oscar Sundquist's talk with Jeremy Rutherford? Well, the first thing that stuck out to me was the comment that Sonny had after JR asked him about Craig Berube and being traded from the Blues to Detroit. And this solidified my tinfoil that the sunny signing was more of a Craig Berube request of like, Hey, I need you to get one of these guys back because what Sonny said was Berube told him after he was traded, quote, you're my guy and asked him how long his contract was going to be, how long he had left. And he said, I'm hopeful that you're back on our team when this contract expires. Then of course we all know Sonny resigns here, but the one that really got me was Jr. asked with the retool, things look a lot different than, when you left how do you see your role and this team's expectations for you this is what Sonny said he said with my game it's going to be taking care of the younger guys showing them how the St. Louis Blues play hockey and drive the team like I did during the Stanley Cup run that's what the Blues expect that's what I expect of myself all season long we heard the culture is lost the locker room seems to be off we need to get that culture back that winning style back when I read that quote from Oscar Sundquist, it proved to me exactly why he was brought in. He was brought in to be one of those vocal guys in the locker room. He's not going to be wearing an A. He's not going to be wearing the C. But what he is going to be is he's going to be the guy that's working with the Jake Neighbors, is the Alexi Torepchenkos, the Nikita Alexandrovs, all of these younger guys, even the Thomases and the Kairos. Sonny's going to be that guy that can say, hey, I've been there. I've done that. This is what you need to do if you're going to have success with this Blues team. I would also add this. In a game, third period, guys aren't getting the job done. They're not playing the way Craig Berube wants to play. Guess what line he's sending over the boards? Yep. It's going to be Oscar Sundquist, Alexi Toropchenko, Sammy Blay. Yep. Because you know what those three guys are going to do? And I know this is old school hockey, but, you know, whatever. They're going to go play the way that Craig Berube wants the game to be played. And he's not going to ask a ton out of those three. He wants them to forecheck, puck possession. And put the pucks on net. Put pucks on net. Yeah, They will play very direct. They will play at the front of the net. We know exactly what those three players are. And so this year, when Craig Berube got into a spot, Alex, where he was like, you know what, my top guys, my top two lines right now, top six, they're not playing the way that we need them to. Who is he sending out there? He was sending out Walker, Toropchenko, and Tyler Pitlick. And, like, let's be honest <laughs> That's here, not man. getting it done. That That is not the same thing. That does not have the same effect where it sends a message to your team and to the other team about what's about to come over the boards. So 
I think you're exactly right in terms of what he's going to bring to the locker room. But I also think for Craig Berube as a coach, he can send messages by who he's playing in those spots as well. And I think that's something that has been missing over the last couple of seasons. You don't need an enforcer for that role. You need guys that are going to play the style that Craig Berube's trying to get out. I always think with successful teams, you got to have a you got to have a middleman between the coach and the roster. A guy that what the coach says, the team's not listening to, that guy can stand up and say, "Hey, this is what needs to happen." That was Alexander Steen for a really long time for this Blues team. Back when Ken Hitchcock was here, David Backus was that guy, but also they had the guys like Steve Ott and Scotty Upshaw that could relay the message. That's what Oscar Sundquist is. What Craig Berube wants is how Oscar Sundquist plays. And if if one of the guys on the offensive side is dogging it, or if they're not going back, or if they're not actually taking their man, Sundquist is the one that's going to be able to relay that message from Craig Berube to that player in a way that the player is receptive to, rather than the coach just chewing out the player after the game. All right, Alex. So another team that has had a decent amount of roster turnover this offseason is the Boston Bruins. Earlier today, it was announced officially Patrice Bergeron is retiring. Now, first of all, I was shocked by this announcement. He was outstanding last year. Yeah. One of the best defensive forwards in all of hockey once again. Uh, This is a six-time Selkie Trophy winner, won it again last year, and was deserving of that honor. This is for a team that, last season, was the best in the NHL and ended up setting a new record for points in a season. Alex, they are now going to be without Patrice Bergeron. The expectation, at least from what I've seen, is that Krejci, I don't think that he's coming back. Bergeron's gone, Krejci's going to be gone. Taylor Hall's gone, Foligno's gone. Alex... Are we going to see the Bruins go through something similar to what the Blues went through last year now that they have lost such significant down-the-middle players? Yeah, it's going to be a culture shock for this team. Now, the good part for Boston is they still have Brad Marchand and David Pasternak, Mm -hmm. who has spent their entire career playing with Patrice Bergeron, so they understand how the culture is. But you guys remember the David Backus interview that we did earlier in the offseason where he talked about how in Boston – The culture was set by Patrice Bergeron that if somebody didn't show up for an optional practice, they were basically off the team because that's how Bergeron ran the team. They don't have that anymore. Marchand maybe can try it. Pasternak can try it, but that's not Patrice Bergeron. And I look at the Boston Bruins team and say they are about to go through a massive overhaul of new leadership in a room. And to me, it's exactly what the Blues just had. Now, the difference is, The Blues had all those leaders in the locker room, but it just didn't work in terms of starting the season with O'Reilly and Tarasenko and Barbashev, and it didn't work, and you traded them away. Now you're starting the offseason without the guy that you've looked to for everything, and now you've got different players who weren't in that leadership role who are now in a leadership role. So if you look at the forward position for the Boston Bruins, their top six, their top line's still pretty good with DeBrusque and um, Pasternak and and uh, Marshan, but then you're talking about James Van Riemsdyke and Charlie Coyle and Trent Frederick. You don't have the depth that you used to have for Boston. So they're about to feel what the Blues felt last year in terms of a culture shock and how to get it back on the right track. I'm fascinated to see what ends up happening there. We, we've talked a lot about how the NHL over the last couple of years has really gone through quite the overhaul in terms of like uh, the league feels like it's being shifted upside down. The mm-hmm. teams that had been dominant for the past decade or so are now going through, I don't even know if it's like a rebuild so much as a retool. And then a lot of the teams that were going through those rebuilds or retools are finally starting to get their sea legs underneath them. Like 
You saw, for example, last year, the Buffalo Sabres start to take that step. The New Jersey Devils took that step. Um, we, we're starting to see it in the Western Conference as well with Seattle last year, L.A. coming through it. And then a lot of those perennial contenders, Blues being among them, Pittsburgh, uh, Boston potentially, it, it is starting to see a little bit of a shift in the landscape. Washington as well. Watch how fast people start pointing fingers at a coach when a team loses an impactful player. Jim Montgomery was the best head coach in, in the National Hockey League last year. Everybody was talking about how the Blues let somebody go. Oh, it, that'll never happen. That doesn't happen here in St. Louis, no. for example, where they had some all-time great players that were clearly leaders in the clubhouse a year ago, and then that young coach that led them to the playoffs with an unbelievable season the next year when those all-time great players are no longer a part of the clubhouse? Are you telling me that it will be blamed on the coach that now the leadership is gone? I can't tell. Are you talking about Perron and Barubi or no. Pujols and Molina and uh, Ollie. And Ollie Marmol? Because there's a lot of that going on in St. Louis. There's a lot of similarities Louis. between Ollie here last year going into this year yeah. to what is happening right now in Boston with but again, Jim Montgomery. And again, another similarity, I think both are good coaches. This is why the locker room to me is always so important. And when you lose somebody like that, everybody goes to the coach where it's like, how are you going to blame this guy exactly. who last season had the best roster? You lost impactful players. It's tough to get that back when you take him out of that locker room. It's always about the players. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner yeah, Hendrickson, Tanner. and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario <laughs> Rewind, recapping our thoughts on the Cardinals today here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. Al Avila joined us earlier today, the former Tigers general manager, and said, quote, if other teams know your players better than you do, something is wrong. And I think that was a quote that will stick with Cardinals fans, to say the least. Alex, would you rather... Start out the rewind by talking about Adam Wainwright and then get to the Tyler O'Neill discussion or start with O'Neill and then get to Wayno. Dealer's choice for you, sir. Can we please start positive? Yeah, let's. No, see, I was thinking I wanted to end positive and go into the rest of the day, but okay. let's start with O'Neill. Okay, let's start with O'Neill. No, so, let's start with Wayno. No, O'Neill. Okay, we'll do O'Neill. All right, so Tyler O'Neill. If you <laughs> missed it, the news from Katie Wu over in The Athletic was this. St. Louis is planning to hold Tyler O'Neill at the trade deadline, according to her sources. The Cardinals aren't looking to move him, barring a contending team taking a gamble on O'Neill's ceiling and buying high. She made it pretty clear in the story, though. The expectation right now, Tyler O'Neill will not be traded at the trade deadline. Here's why I have a problem with this, because I, I think it's a, a really big issue. One of the, in my opinion, worst decisions that this team has made in 2023 and there is a litany of bad decisions i think this might be the worst of them like in season decisions keeping tyler o'neill leads to other issues with this team it means that he is blocking somebody else because there's only three outfield spots breaking news everybody and so if you're keeping tyler o'neill and they want to see what jordan walker can do in the outfield 
Guys, think about all of the other players that you are giving outfield experience to right now. What does that mean for Brendan Donovan or Dylan Carlson or Lars Newtbar or Tommy Edman, all of whom you're trying to figure out what you have there? If you're not willing to sell low on O'Neill, why are you willing to sell low on Dylan Carlson? All of these things, to me, come back to potentially haunt the Cardinals once again. If you are not willing to trade Tyler O'Neill now, you're probably not willing to do so in the offseason, and it means you're betting on him again in 2024. You are going through this exact same cycle over and over and over again. That is my problem with this decision on Tyler O'Neill. Here's my problem with it. You talk about how your focus is on 2024 and getting back into that winning way and potentially making a run for a championship in 2024, because let's be honest, the years are dwindling for Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. You can't do that if you return next season with five guys that you deem outfielders. You can't do that if you're looking at a total of 12 guys that you're figuring they should be everyday batters in our lineup. And you also can't do that if you're unwilling to trade pieces that can actually gain you assets that make your team better on the pitching side. If you pull those guys off of the list and say, well, we can't trade him because that impacts our offense next year, then you're not getting talent on the pitching side, which means your team is going to be in the exact same situation as you are next year. So you're either going to have to spend a ton of money or willing to trade assets that you don't want to. And to make it all come back to Tyler O'Neill, you're going to have to move on from that because he's not a part of your 2024 season if you consider yourself competitors because other guys should be playing in that position. And I know people got mad at me when I mentioned this before because they view it as way too big of a leap. I, I'm not sure that it is. I'm not sure that I, the two should be correlated, but they might be. If this is the plan is to keep Tyler O'Neill and the plan is to keep Tommy Edmond in center field. And the plan is to build around Lars Newtbar, who they have apparently deemed a borderline untouchable for the club. That is your outfield next year. And it suggests that they are deciding early. Jordan Walker's not an outfielder for us. If you are deciding that now, there are only two other positions that he can likely play, and it's first or third. I don't think they're trading Nolan Arenado. He's still young. He's putting up another season that's on pace to finish with 35 homers and 125 RBIs. Uh, you, you don't trade that piece. It would, in my opinion, make it much more likely that the team ends up moving on from Paul Goldschmidt either at this deadline or in the offseason. I think that would be a massive mistake. But these are the kinds of things that are consequences of keeping Tyler O'Neill in the fold. I'm sorry. I know you're not going to get anything of significance in return, but now is the time to move on from him. All right, let's finish on a high note. Yesterday, what we saw from Adam Wainwright, I was impressed, man. I was skeptical. I didn't think he had that in him. For him to be able to go out there and give you five quality innings, I'm not telling you he was prime Bob Gibson or anything like that, but he was really good last night, and he should have gotten the win. It should have been win one, 199 for him. Oh, you're starting to go negative yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. Didn't get there Come because on. of the relievers, but that's all right. Appreciate Ollie for keeping him in nice. there. Appreciate Wayno for having the guts to <laughs> battle say, through that yeah. one. Rough first what batter. Really good do. outing for Adam Wainwright. I was critical of it yesterday. <laughs> I thought it was the wrong decision. Kudos to him. Good on you, Captain Cardinal, for going out da, there. Da, da, da. Captain Cardinal and going out there and showing all of us that you still got a little bit something left in you. Coming up next, it's the fast lane. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. We got another former Major League Baseball general manager joining us here on BK and Ferrario from the 618. Guys, who would you trade Jordan Walker for? Nobody. 
You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.